Check, 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 one, two. I'm in the mini studio with my friend Howard. Here he is. Say what's up. What's up? What else am I supposed to say? Uh, we're going <laughs> to do a live stream. Um, he's an old school bike messenger out of the Bay Area, San Francisco specifically. So I'll, I'll let you tell a little bit about yourself before we get started on uh, any heavy topics. Um, we're kind of maybe bounce all over the place of bike culture, old school bike culture versus today's bike culture, um, you know, things that have changed over time. What, you know, what you've seen as a bike messenger over the years and how everything has changed. But uh, kind of tell us, like, you know, like, how did you end up in the Bay Area? Where are you originally from? These kind of things, if you could. Okay, well, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio in 1952. And uh, in 1962, Mom and Dad brought us out here uh, to the Bay Area. Um, grew up in Northern California and lived uh, various places uh, up till I was about 30 in various places in California. And uh, in 1982, I came to San Francisco. Uh, my first job was as a security guard, and I was bored to death. Uh, <laughs> and I would see messengers coming in. I knew there had been, I, I knew there were bike messengers before I came up here. But in that context of seeing them, I, I you know, on the job coming in to the uh, to the places where I worked, and I would be um, seeing them. Uh, doing their job and uh you know i'd like to ride a bike and uh i would ask them a little bit about it and uh i actually got laid off uh only a couple months uh after becoming a security guard and so uh on september 13th 1982 uh i was hired uh as a bike messenger uh by the old specialized messenger service uh they are no longer in operation uh, well, well, what it tells us a little bit about that what is that specialized messenger is it like as specialized a bike brand or, or no 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 um i think we were ex in existence before the, uh specialized bikes i know specialized bikes started right about that time uh so um so it was a messenger company like many others um, doing uh, legal filings, uh, bank uh, deposits, uh, paperwork stuff, paperwork know. stuff. Yeah. And so in, in, in the city between the big buildings. Yeah. Uh, at Specialized, I pretty much worked uh, downtown. Got it. You get out to uh, for those of you for those of you familiar with San Francisco, we get out to the Van S. Franklin Gough Street area, and uh, a little bit into the Mission District, uh, and so uh, that was uh, my first job as a messenger. Um, our company was very small, so I kind of took baby steps into the community. Um, and at that time, there was a lot of uh, snobbery, to put it bluntly. And unfortunately, I think it still exists. 
um, hopefully not as much. By bike messenger snobbery. Yeah, by the uh, by the veterans. Uh, you know, was uh, was this movie already out um, with Kevin Bacon? That horrible movie yeah. was not out. <laughs> <laughs> so this is pre that movie. Pre that movie. Okay, yeah, I got you. Uh, so um, yeah, there was uh, you know I I, I remember one time. Uh, uh, one guy was uh, working, it was around 7 p.m., and uh, I said, oh, wow, are you still working? He says, no, I'm just doing this for fun. And uh, <laughs> I was like, well, well, aren't we all? And uh, anyway, he, uh, uh, you know, he just copped an attitude because he was a veteran and I was a rookie, and I was asking in his mind a stupid question. But he could have been doing it for fun. He could have been going to a show. He could have been going home. So, but he wasn't. Yeah, but I guess he wasn't having fun. Uh, so uh, that was kind of the, some of the snobbery that uh, uh, that existed. But there was also people like uh, the Marr brothers, um, who uh, Sean and Pat Marr, who unfortunately are no longer with us. Uh, but they were uh, very receptive, very friendly. And, of course, Rick Blind, shout out to Rick, uh, Ranger Rick, Shark, the senior um, San Francisco messenger, maybe even the senior messenger in the world, because uh, cool. he's, <laughs> he's been doing it since 78, I believe. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah. That's so. So, for example, uh, that meant he was um, uh, doing it for four years when I started back in 82. So, uh, so there were a, a couple people who uh, would be uh, friendly to rookies and welcoming. And uh, how, how big, like, how big is this community at the time, like, uh, in terms of the full encompassing size of it? Like, how many... You know, companies are there. How many? Is there yeah. like? A, is there like a? Because today, for those that don't know about bike messenger stuff, typically they hang out at like like one designated location. Like when you're waiting for packages to come back and forth, or waiting for a job. Like in San Francisco, it's one post, and down here in LA, there's like a whole thing called the Ledge Foos, and it's like a bunch of dudes that hang out by a ledge in downtown LA, waiting for packages and stuff like this. So, like, in the 70s, was there, like, a one-post? Or, sorry, no, in the 80s, was there a one-post kind of place? Um, yeah, just if I may um, nitpick here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we now hang out. Uh, we got kicked out of one post. Uh, I think Taylor talked about that a little. And, yeah. And, uh, and I think. Uh, he got it right um so uh we got kicked out of there sent to uh the wall we got kicked off the wall we are now um near the ferry building uh it's uh a little um flag uh pedestal uh on the embarcadero uh for those of you familiar with that area of San Francisco, the Embarcadero is a um, it's a boulevard, uh, and you have um, westbound traffic, or we might say northbound traffic, depending on your perspective, or northwest, uh, <laughs> or the side closest to the bay, uh, going in one direction, 
and then a parallel uh, two or three lanes uh, going the opposite direction. And there's a large island in between, and on that island is uh, where we're hanging out now. Yeah, yeah, I've seen a few clips of some of my friends, uh, you know, they're they're in that spot now. And I think they tried another spot before that. That also didn't work. You guys also got yeah. kicked out of there. So, um, yeah, one post, I mean, I remember one post because I lived up there during the time, and uh, it was just cool that all, all the bike races kind of started out there um, at that spot. And so it was, it was a lot of fun to always hang around. My brother, my younger brother was a bike messenger up there for a while, and he uh, – he was always hanging out at one post and smoking weed and drinking purple cans and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Shout yeah. out to Rossi drinking purple cans. Uh, uh, so to get back to your question, what was uh, what is now uh, what's what was our hangout in the eighties? Uh, lots of times it would be at our companies because our companies were actually okay with us uh, meeting in in the bike room, uh, especially the larger companies like Western, which is still around, U.S. Mess, which is not still around. But they would have um, what they call the bike room where if we wanted to, we could park our bikes there and go home, you know. Uh, so they had space but, for you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah or, or the bikes would be repaired there. Um, but we also would hang out after work at those places. Another place was um, Harvey's, uh, which is uh, at Fifth and Shipley uh, in the South of Market neighborhood. And um, there was a little, um, uh, we, we would just hang out outside of Harvey's. Later in the mid 80s, Harvey, uh, uh, I think he owned. Um, a nearby parking lot like like a, just a couple doors down and we would hang out there too cool um so those were uh you know the in the 80s uh as i say often in the bike rooms of the larger companies or uh nearby harvey's uh harvey's was a corner store and uh he would give us credit, uh, like an old school neighborhood corner store, which uh, yeah, that, seems that doesn't happen anymore. No was, way. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say um, that's a tradition that uh, seems to be disappearing from America. And yeah, uh, if if we're really gonna make America great again, then we bring back cor corner <laughs> store credit. <laughs> corner store credit. Oh my God. Yeah, I mean that I could would be cool. Yeah, I could I could remember um thanks to Harvey uh I would not have to get, go put my money in a bank. Um he would cash my checks. Um I tried not to get on that credit bandwagon, but yeah, it was pe nice. People used to I mean I used to cash checks because I was against using credit and things like this. I still am mostly against the use of credit and digital money and stuff but yeah uh i remember getting a check when i was young going to my corner store and the guy would cash it out give me the money i would spend some money mm -hmm. in the store you know yeah. of course you know you yeah. got money so i spent some money in the store get some things i needed go back home and put my money away you know so like this kind of thing it it doesn't it doesn't happen anymore there's no more sense of like community like in this in, in the small scale but it would be cool to see 
to see something like that come back. Um, I had a question about about those days as well. Um, I can I'm getting like a mental picture of like what it looked like to be a messenger and to uh, to to travel in and out of the city and all these kind of things. So one of the things I was curious about is what were the bike shops like in those days? Like were you guys going to the bike shop to get your bike fixed? And uh, how 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 was the bike shop culture in those days? Um. There were, um, uh, it was kind of um, old school uh, bike shops. Um, you would get uh, people who, uh, you know, were, you know, mechanics would um, start their shop. Uh, occasionally a uh, bike company would uh, have a shop. Um, so like smaller shops. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there were, there were, there were some that were fairly big, um, especially on uh, uh, Stanion Street in San Francisco, and there's still a that, couple. That's there. where I worked uh, for, for for many years when I lived in the Bay Area um, on that street. Um, yeah, I think that's the oldest bike shop in the city, right? Uh, um, uh, Avenue. A- no, Avenue Cyclers was one I worked at, uh-huh. and there was one um, just down the street from it. Um, I forget the name, but it's on the corner. Yeah, uh, it's pretty big. Um, that's that's the oldest bike shop in the city. Yeah, can't can't think of the name right now. Yeah. But uh, but it was right next to Avenue yeah. Cyclery. But I I worked at Avenue Cyclery for for many years. Shout out to all those dudes at Avenue. They're very yeah. cool. Um, right in front of the Golden Gate Park and stuff. For anyone who isn't familiar, but um, yeah. So I I I just you know I work in bike shops and uh, I've owned a few bike shops. So I'm just curious, you know, like yeah, what the bike shop stuff is like. But um. Uh, let me let me ask you some more questions. Well, if I could just or, go, go ahead, expound go. a little bit on that, is that then um, some messengers who are good at mechanics um, would open up uh, shops. Oh, really? Yeah, and ah. and uh, uh, and some of them. Uh, uh, there's Box Dog. Uh, shout out to Box Dog. Shout out to Heavy Metal, Kim. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar with uh, thanks both, for both the credit <laughs> you know at least we can get credit at bike shops or some of them and it's usually one started as in the case of, yeah I've, uh, I've gotten stuff from box dog bikes and uh, I've I bought stuff from the dudes at heavy metal bikes as well and yeah you know, frames and whatever we barter stuff trade stuff you know back in the day when I was yeah. up there um I thought bo- or box dog are they still there box box dog bikes um I think so. Yeah. Uh, I, I haven't been, you know, I. I haven't been by since, the pandemic, uh, and that's uh, mostly just because it's, not really on my, main routes. Uh, I used to cover more of the city, both, as a messenger and just as a recreational cyclist. Yeah. But. Um, so you so you haven't been into a bike shop since uh, since the whole COVID thing started. Well, I I go to heavy metal a yeah, lot yeah, yeah. and uh, occasionally um, uh, freewheel. Shout out to freewheel uh, um, on um, uh, Hayes and Ashbury. Yeah, the uh, the first location, their yeah. second location closed yeah, on down. Valencia. Yeah, on Valencia, yeah. That, that spot is gone now. Yeah. yeah, I noticed that there was a period of time where bike shops were expanding 
and they were getting bigger stores, two stores. Like yeah. some of my friends at San Francisco, shout out to Jason. He um he had a small store over on um like near Fulton and mm-hmm. then he just went and opened a second store on on uh on Ashbury as well. Big old store, like enormous store and it didn't last more than like a year and a half, two years before it closed down. So I've noticed that there was like a period of growth mm-hmm. and then there was like a period of like, you know, tapering back down to the original, like where they came from kind of thing. Free Will did the same thing. A lot of these places did the same thing. Valencia Cyclery also expanded. They bought right. they bought another building next to theirs. Now yeah. they're, they're bigger. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, COVID a lot like for bike shops in particular, COVID was good. Like so many people went out to buy bikes first time bike customers you know the people that typically are not into riding bikes but what about for bike messenger work did it get did it go up is there more work to do or is there less bike messenger work to do now uh, there's during COVID? way less way uh, less um well uh yeah i mean uh i mean i got laid off uh when uh, when the lockdown started uh on my brother and sister's birthday. Oh no! Thank you, so- <laughs> <laughs> thank you, little tiny microorganism that controls mm. our bodies. Uh, <laughs> re- uh, yeah, um, shout out to my brother and sister. Hi Pat. Hi Pete. Uh, so yeah, that the lockdown when the lockdown started, um, I remember saying. Uh, you know, I was told that uh, our company, Specialty, was closing. It was the oldest uh, messenger service in the city. Um, and I remember um, getting mad at my dispatcher, I mean, not mad at her, but mad in front of her and saying, we're essential workers, too. Yeah, I don't see how you're not essential. Well, yeah. the problem is, is that lots of our clients aren't. <laughs> <laughs> or or they were going to work from home. And so we lost a lot of business. And there's still talk that specialty, um, uh, shout out to Chief, uh, there's talk that specialty may uh, revive again. And shout out to Irma, uh, my dispatcher. Sorry I got mad, uh, but... Uh, but uh, yeah, we, we are we are essential, and some companies, such as Western Messenger, uh, were able to um, stay afloat and still are, and um, have started to revive a little. So let me ask you, like, uh, because will you say COVID negatively affected the the smaller? I would say um, independent companies that handle bike messenger work. Um, but what about this new phenomenon of all of these, um, let's call them the gig economy, right? Mm-hmm. Like DoorDash, Uber Eats, and all of these app type work uh, mm-hmm. that bike messengers are doing these days. Um, w- did that slow down as well, or did that go increase in volume? As I understand, do, do you do any of that stuff? Yeah, I do. Um, I, as I understand, um, uh, it's increased a little bit. Um, 
and it see it will I'm guessing it will continue although caviar did um, uh, did die out uh, I think just before COVID or well actually I think a couple of years because I was doing it and I and and then I got on it special tea uh, and I got a special tea at 2017 and I think caviar went down in 2018 because I quit caviar um, and uh, so in 2000 I quit caviar in 2017 so I think they went down in 2018 so let me ask you are you because a lot of people are against these type of apps and this type of work. Mm -hmm. um, how do you feel about them? Like, do you think in the, in a time where there's no bike messenger work from the independent companies and you could find it on these apps, are they coming in clutch for you? Do you use them? Do you like them? Or are you, are you against them? Do you not like using them? Like, even though, even if you have to, like, cause you know, you, you gotta use them, but like, are you like, you know, are inside of in, in your true self are you are you with it yes or no um no uh uh you know i i have to appreciate the fact that they exist so that we have that option but uh there's um a big problem with them in that they take away too much of the human interaction um once in a while you need a dispatcher to talk to and say, um, here's this problem. Here's this unusual problem. Right. Uh, nobody's home, you know, with stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Now with, um, you know, with, uh, most of the paperwork ones, uh, that would usually mean, can I slip it under the door? Obviously you can't do that with food, right. but, but still you do have things like, um, uh, you know, somebody uh, isn't answering the door, um, but the app is telling you that it has to be received by them. Um, and there's no, um, they usually let you uh, leave it at the door and you take a picture. Um, but one of the things I don't like is that they ask me when I take a picture if I want to, um, or if I'm willing to uh, give DoorDash access to my photo on my phone. Right. And uh, they ask it in such a way that I'm, am I talking about when I take a photo of, uh, you know, of a, of a friend of mine off the job? Or, or is it just specific to when I'm on the app, when I'm on right. their app, and I don't like the wording of that. So you distrust the the technology behind uh, some yeah. of the services. Yeah. So and 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 we spoke about this a little bit while we were on the air, but you also mentioned you you don't ha use social media per se, so you're not really on social media. You, you, you're. Yeah. So this is why this talk is kind of interesting because, uh, you know, since you technically don't participate in social media there's no way that it would influence your thinking in one way or another since you're not on it so mm -hmm. you 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 still keep it old school in that regard 
So that's kind of why I thought this podcast podcast would be interesting. Um, another thing. Well, all right. So so you 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 use the apps. You're a little. You're weary of the technology. You're you're not. You know. You you don't like the fact that it's asking you for permissions. And you know, th- there's more yeah. than just the the photos. Like, yeah, th- these apps ask like GPS track your location. They yeah. they want to know. Um, they want to have access to your microphone. They want. You know, mm-hmm. I worked for some of these companies. Like, uh, I'll give you a little inside tip on some of this stuff. I worked for uh, Uber yeah. when they when they did uh, the bicycle line in San Francisco. Have you seen those red jump bikes that were everywhere? Yeah, yeah. So I worked for that company mostly because I just wanted to see how they functioned from the inside mm-hmm. out. Not really yeah. because I needed to, but um, the Uber jump company they didn't make money from people renting the bikes. They made money from from collecting information of who's riding the bikes, where are they riding the bikes to, how long do they ride, where are they shopping, you know. Um, and these these things were more mm-hmm. uh, information was more valuable to them. They would sell this information to third parties than the actual bike ride. Actually, the, the bike ride of those those uh, rideshare bikes it was kind of a loss. They didn't mm-hmm. really they didn't really make money doing that. And with the whole um, messenger work on these app things, it's kind of similar. Like if you think about it, the customer is only ever paying like I don't know, maybe like two, three dollars for a delivery on these services, right? Like if if you go to the restaurant, let's say you were gonna spend twenty dollars on the app, you would spend maybe twenty three dollars or maybe twenty four dollars, right? Maybe three, four dollars on top for this delivery, mm-hmm. and the 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 app uh, corporation pays you to do the delivery. That's whether you're driving or, or or on a bike. Obviously, if you're driving, it doesn't make any sense because uh, the gas and the car maintenance costs and all these other things get in the way, uh, you know, and, and they, they're going to take away from your end profit. So I don't think driving and using these apps is very wise. But let's say that you were on a bike and you're using human power, right? There's still some maintenance on your bike, right? There's still some some flat tires to deal with there's still some some things to deal with there and they don't they don't account for any of that and they don't they don't give you like spending money for 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 bike uh maintenance and they they don't care about that so there's that to consider but even then you are making some money doing it the company itself though are they making money when they are handling these deliveries i don't think they are I think they're maybe breaking off even, maybe making a little bit of money. I think most of their money is coming from collecting data. Where are they shopping? What are they people buying? What is more popular? Um, they sell these this, this data to other companies like Yelp and Google, and they rank people's businesses and stuff based on that. So, I mean, I have friends who are in the restaurant industry, and they don't make much money selling food on these apps, mm-hmm. you know, because when you're selling food on the app, like, they they're collecting a, a large portion of your sale and most of the time you're having to offer discounts as a restaurant you know owner like for special apps like if you do postmates or any one of these like there there's always some kind of deal that they're working on uh, with, with the restaurant owner and a lot of people have complained restaurants in particular that they're kind of getting gypped by these companies that they're not really making much money so. that's another reason why i don't like them yeah uh, I, actually, I get mixed feelings, uh, mixed signals. Uh, some restaurants do like 
uh, dealing with the apps, so I don't know exactly what the yeah you're right about that fine yeah. fine tuning is as far as what some restaurants what what works for some restaurants but is counterproductive for others. Um, and I wanted to expound a little bit about um, they do have uh, DoorDash does have a phone number you can. Uh, you can call if you do need troubleshooting, but it's hard to find. It should be something that's always on the app right there in front of you. Call this number if you have a problem. And I can see where, yeah, that might mean too many people calling when they should do their own troubleshooting. But um, there's ways to discourage that uh, from the the way we did it uh, with with real messenger services. It's like, hey, rookie, quit calling, quit yeah. calling for help so much. You know, get a map <laughs> or, you know, learn learn your job better. And, and a little bit of, uh, you know, tough love might be uh, appropriate. And then they, this phone number on the DoorDash app, is it, what kind of help do they provide? Like, are they... Uh are they giving you navigation? Are they giving you, or is it just specific with the app and maybe problems that occur there? It's um, it it happens uh, pretty rarely. Uh, I think that's because I am I have that previous experience, so I know how to deal with um, problems that uh, a rookie. Uh, um, should should get a chance to deal with a human being and have that kind of help. Um, I remember in one case, uh, I went to the restaurant. And they said it's going to be about thirty minutes, and they don't. That's another thing. They don't pay very well for waiting time. That's and, right. Yeah. So is that a problem? Like like when there's like surges of like like you know during like rush hour and stuff like this when there's a lot of people out. Um. I, you know, I, I'm usually tolerable for anything up to 10 minutes. Um, but when I was told 30 minutes, I had to get on, on the phone and find the troubleshooter. And as I say, it, I had to navigate the app rather than having that number right in my face. And, you know, I got on, I called, and I think I had to also call the customer, um, it was a while ago, but I, I basically ended up, uh, oh, plus I didn't have much information to give the customer. Like I said, well, this is going to cost more, but I don't know how much more. Hmm. And um, so I, I didn't have that much information to give the customer. Uh, and uh, and I was able to get, a, get to drop the... Um, uh to drop that order and somebody else had to go get it when they were ready because i didn't want to wait 30 minutes uh and i also felt that i was jipping the customer or excuse me uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah short shorting the customer um because um you know uh they were going to be stuck with something that was either the app's fault, the restaurant's fault, or both. Or both, yeah. Uh, yeah, it gets a little complicated with these apps. I mean, they're having to deal with a lot of different things altogether. 
but you get to communicate with the end customer, right? Like you can you can text them and you can ask them what they want if there's some, something that's not available and stuff like this, right? So yeah, I've never done that kind of work, but you know, it, I can see how, how how it can be complicated for the companies to. I'll give them that that at least they're doing something that like they yes they set up a system. Personally, I would like to see that system implemented by a smaller company. You know, I think like imagine if a bicycle messenger company installed into their business model mm-hmm. some of this technology and was able to, you know, get people to be as efficient, communicate with the customers and stuff like this. I think it would work. You know, I'm, I would much rather give my business to the, the small company. Yeah. Like yeah. If, if like, for example, in L.A. is so big, right? L.A. is enormous. But let's say that we live. In the South Bay, which is where we are now, this like mm-hmm. like Southern Manhattan Beach area. If we're down here by the airport, there should be a bicycle messenger company that works in this area and maybe does some subcontracting with some of these bigger corporations, right? So that you guys do all of the deliveries in a certain region, right? Mm-hmm. And then let's say uh, North Hollywood, um, which is quite a ways from here, uh let's say there's another local messenger company there and those guys handle the deliveries in that area and they they you know it's fairly simple you do some subcontracting work you get you get contracts with bigger corporations you say hey i want to do the deliveries for you guys we we would do a better job than if you hired a lot of individuals on 1099s you know i think mm-hmm. i think bike messengers shouldn't be offered 1099s i think they should get like a w2 w4 at the end of the year yeah that's another and, thing uh, i don't like about doordash and companies yeah like them. yeah, yeah they're subcontracting you and that's not good yeah um, you should be getting paid a wage for what you do it's a job yeah right and you yeah. should be getting benefits you should be getting government uh, whatever government benefits are available to you, depending on your, you know, income bracket and all this, you should be a, a, you should have access to all of that. And I think that these companies, that's the biggest cheap out that they've done is not give people proper wages, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the 80s, uh, we were getting this transition from these companies that just hired us as ICs, as independent contractors. We were getting away from that in the 90s and in the turn of the millennium. Um, And now it's coming back through through these multi-billion dollar multinational corporations that can definitely afford. uh, Oh, yeah, they can. Yeah, I mean, they've got billions. So now it's coming back in a different way. That's yeah. in, I didn't know it had happened before. That's yeah. interesting to know. Yeah. And how did it happen the first time? Was it like small companies didn't want to pay out? They just wanted to, they didn't want to deal with the taxes, right? Because it costs, I guess it costs money for every employee you have mm-hmm. and they have to pay tax for every employee, right? So if you give someone a 1099, I guess you don't have to pay the tax, right? That's the whole game, right? Um, I think they they do, um, but uh, it's the um, it's uh, the benefits. Uh, yeah, I, I, I honestly yeah, the benefits can't. as well. They're gonna yeah. cut out. 
yeah. you know, any any type of benefits, you're not going to get anything. Yeah. And so with some of these companies like Uber Jump and like Metro Bike Share and the Bird Scooters and all those electric vehicle companies, with those guys, they're a little they're a little more suspicious than even that. What they do is they hire people with 1099s, but then there's like some law in California that says that if you work for longer than one year on 1099 that you're required to then be turned into an employee. Um, so they just fire people after before they hit the year and mm -hmm. they just hire new people and they just continue this cycle of firing people before the year comes up so that they never have to pay benefits or 401k or any of this stuff. <laughs> so they do that kind of stuff. And some of those companies do offer W4, W2s, but not for, not for the guys out on the street with the apps. They right. offer it for the, internal management or for like the bicycle mechanics the guys that are mm -hmm. servicing the bikes but they really want to outsource everything like even charging the things you know like like you see those scooters out there there's dudes driving around in vans and trucks right yeah. scooping these things up throwing them in their truck taking them to their house charging them up and getting like two three dollars per charge it's like yo mm -hmm. that's not even worth it like your electricity bill is going to cost more than that, you know? And the gasoline for having to pick the things up is just weird. Yeah. But I can see why it's advantageous for these companies because they, they spread out real big and they don't actually have to have any infrastructure. They're essentially borrowing the infrastructure that's already there. Yeah. So for Uber, they don't have to pay drivers and they don't have to purchase vehicles or do any of this. They just eat simply... Uh, you know, pay someone else to use their car to yeah. give people rides. If if uh, if you want something to deliver, they pay someone else to use their bicycle or vehicle to deliver it. Right? Uh, if you want to charge your your scooter, you pay someone else to put it in their home and charge it. They don't even pay for rent to store the bikes or the scooters. They just leave them out on the sidewalk. Like mm. these companies are really, really spreading out real far. They got real long tentacles, and they're not doing anything about controlling when and how that stuff gets controlled. Like, so the biggest problem that I see with that, this is my my biggest problem with this is, like YouTube, when you have a problem and you reach out, there is no actual human there. You know what I mean? Like, where mm -hmm. where's the human? Yeah. Like, where where's the guy that I need to talk to? Like you were saying, like when you have a problem. So I guess DoorDash, some of these apps have a guy that you can call. But um, for a lot of the scooter companies and the, you know, and, and that's those kind of hurting the, the overall environment, in my my opinion. I mean, some of them got taken, like, some of them got removed already. Like, Uber Jump in L.A. was removed. They got mm -hmm. rid of those. Some of the scooters have got, they gotten rid of some of the scooters. Um, so I don't know. I haven't seen how it is in San Francisco, but it's just still a lot of that electric bike stuff going on over there like uh the rideshare stuff do you see that over there oh yeah yeah um and i know that some uh some people will actually uh they don't own a bike and the, so they'll they'll rent a bike um to do deliveries yeah <laughs> so they're gonna pay for a temporary for a rental to do a delivery does how would you make money doing like is there money to be made doing that um 
That's crazy. Well, I mean, uh, I would guess that there is. I mean, I don't know offhand what the uh, rate is. Um, they're kind of expensive. I think they're mm -hmm. like um, you're going to pay like $3 to start the ride and then like a dollar every like hour or something like this. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how on average, what's a, like uh, if it's not too personal, what, on average, like for one delivery that you make on an app, Mm -hmm. How much are you getting paid for one average delivery? If you had to average it out, I, I really can't because it's I, I haven't figured out their formula for charging. Sometimes mm. uh, I'll get fifteen dollars to go th four blocks with one item, and then other times I'll get five dollars to go twenty blocks. And those I usually turn down. That is one advantage of them is that you can turn them, turn them down. And I often turn down anything under eight dollars. Once in a while, if if like I'm going, maybe I'm running some personal errands in, along with the uh, being, on DoorDash. Uh, maybe I shouldn't tell them this, but uh, <laughs> what I'll do is um, if I'm, you know, if I'm like let's say I'm going downtown to. To pick up uh, my mail, I have a P.O. box uh, for my mail, and I'm going downtown, and they only offer me five or six dollars. Well, I'm getting paid to go pick up my mail. That's how I look at it. Sure. But if it's if it's uh, if I'm trying to make money, I'm not taking that. That's not making money. Yeah. How does it compare to the uh, the small bicycle messenger company? Like like do you how on average, how much money do you get per delivery? For one of those type of deliveries, like where you're working for an actual. Yeah. Well, um, I actually started getting, I, I got paid um, when I was at specialty and by the hour. Uh, so, uh, so it was, I was making more from a small company. Um, I think I was up to about $17 an hour. And, um, that would be better most of the time than DoorDash. Uh, yeah, yeah, every, I would imagine so. Yeah, I mean, once in a while, I I'd get uh, get pretty lucky and make uh, twenty or even thirty an hour uh, on DoorDash, but usually it's um, less than twenty. Well, I'm I'm you know I'm glad to know that there's still some money left out there for bike messengers that you know that you can still ride your bike and get paid. Yeah. That's always good to know, because uh, a lot of other things are going away, you know. So I'm glad that as a culture that still exists. Uh, down here, there isn't that as much bicycle messenger work, obviously, because LA is so big. Um, it would be very difficult. So most of these delivery dudes are doing it in their cars and they're, you know, going mm -hmm. and, you know, picking up in their car, driving somewhere. Everything down here is going to be two, three miles away at least, you know, at the very least. So nothing, mm -hmm. nothing is 20, 20 San Francisco blocks is like 20 SF blocks is like three or four blocks here, you know, like yeah. easily like those these these are like really stretched out like right. distances um yeah compared to the bay area but um uh you know that's just this is where i think the uh a lot of people are against electric bikes and motorized bikes for this reason but i feel like it could really work um 
for these longer distances to to deliver stuff. Um, but uh, what 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 other uh, what other kind of um, insights do you have for us as a bike messenger, as an old school bike messenger for some of us? I know you had a few other topics you kind of wanted to get into. Yeah, one of the things I really appreciate about uh, the younger messengers is that they have uh, uh, a, a real respect for us OGs. And uh, I really appreciate that. A shout out to all you rookies and young guys. Um, and I think it's more intuitive. And so I'd like to kind of tell them, yeah, I appreciate uh, the respect and the, uh, and the affection. And uh, want to say, uh, I think, offer some theories as to why that, that's there. And um, in the, I think it was in the 70s, now it is a little before my experience, uh, but I think it was in the 70s when bike messengers went from the Western Union messenger who rode a company bike, uh, wore a company uniform um, that looked kind of official. You may have seen uh, those you know, photographs. Uh, yeah, I've seen of a those. few of those. Yeah. Uh, and were usually paid by the hour so that they didn't, um, and, and having one speed company bikes that they weren't personally as familiar with, they were kind of like um, just um, not a... Um, not a daring uh, or as fast as uh, the messengers who would come up in, in the uh, 70s. That's when you got uh, more companies um, uh, <coughs> you know, hiring uh, messengers to ride their own bikes, mm. um, which was uh, kind of uh, a little bit exploitive in the sense that uh, we would have to take care of them. Right. But uh, it was also a bike that uh, as, as you're dealing with more traffic, um, which is what we've been dealing with, you know, through the years, there's always more, there's always been an increase of traffic, except for, of course, during COVID. But, but for the most part, you're getting more and more traffic and um, so I really wanted to be on my bike for safety's sake and because um, we were paid often by commission, then I, w I could go faster on my bike. No, that's interesting because, yes, if they provide a bike, that's good because, well, the cost of the bike and the maintenance. Mm -hmm. But the downside is the bike probably sucks <laughs> and it's not a bike you want to ride. So you want to have your own bike, yeah. a faster bike. Yeah. So you think that's what made guys faster? Was the the whole move away from that? Um, yeah, and um, it kind of attracted a uh, somebody who was not quite into um, the you know cookie cutter uh, approach to the job. Uh, it right. allowed for more. Um, uh, resourcefulness and uh, independence and uh, so um, 
that started in the 70s uh, when I started uh, in 82. Um, well, I've, I've always had my own bike. I, I've never had a company bike. Um, and uh, what that uh, meant was, um, but with us riding faster for commission work uh, and for us uh, having a vehicle, a bicycle that we were more familiar with personally, um, we were a little bit more daring um, because I wouldn't be daring with uh, an unfamiliar bike. Right. So um, this led to um, the, you know, we wouldn't be uh, stopping at red lights all the time. Uh, (laughs) And um, so if you don't mind me asking, like, what kind of writer are you? Like, uh, you know, I, I, in general, I'm, I, ride um according to conditions and i feel that uh that it's for my safety i often have to run red lights i know of a couple of occasions where if i had not run the red light the car behind me was and it was going to hurt me very badly oh yeah of course and um so on that um we you know we were you know, we were breaking the traffic laws uh, more. Um, I want to say right now, I am not endorsing that for anybody, whether they're a messenger or not. You have to ride your own, what's safest for you. And I'm not going to tell you how, how that is, except that the traffic laws are made for one-ton vehicles that are able to accelerate to a mile a minute in a matter of seconds and occasionally do maybe not on city streets but still to very dangerous speeds very quickly and those laws are made for them and so I feel that for me personally the best way for me to adapt is to um, not obey those laws to ride according to the conditions that I am faced with at that moment. Again, I'm not suggesting, and certainly I would suggest that kids start by obeying the law um, and then um, yeah, adapting your own, what you feel is safest for you and 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 uh, enjoyable for you. That's why the, uh, like, if you look at streets and you look at, pedestrians there mm-hmm. there there's really no place for a bicycle on the sidewalk you know like they tell like if you ride on the sidewalk the pedestrians will yell at you hey get off the sidewalk what are you doing are you crazy and if you ride on the street i'm sure you've gotten the what are you doing riding your bike on the street are you crazy like you like you got nowhere to go you yeah know? i am <laughs> crazy but what's your point <laughs> well that you know that like you were saying the laws are not designed for a bicycle or any sm- uh, medium sp- speed moving vehicle, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's either pedestrian or or a large multi ton vehicle. Yeah, and that causes some serious issues where, especially with starting and stopping, where for a car that can start and stop very quickly, sure it makes sense to stop at every single stop sign, but mm-hmm. 
there should be a law allowing for a bicycle to be able to roll a stop if, mm-hmm. if, if the conditions are met. Similar how a vehicle can make a right turn on a red light if it can yield it. Right. right. Yeah. So, so we should be given that because yeah. knowing how momentum works and how much effort it takes to start and to stop a bicycle that, that it's it's obvious we should be able to to do that but you know some of the i think in the bay area some of the laws are being changed to allow for some of this right i mean down here definitely not uh-huh. uh well actually i think over i think in the 90s idaho uh passed what has become known in some circles as the idaho stop you're you're allowed to approach a stop sign or I don't know about a stop light, but a stop sign, I, th- I think, I'll, I'll have to double check, but uh, I think as long as you um, do it safely, um, then you can, uh, then you can go through. Right, right. Um, so, uh, and I think one reason was because Idaho is a is a rather rural state with um not that many cars um yeah metropolitan city is a lot different from a rural countryside right so yeah in the city how do we how do we deal with that i think it still applies though because like you said sometimes it's dangerous to stop right yeah sometimes it's too dangerous to ride on the street like yeah. there there are some streets that are just the traffic is way too close to the side of the of the sidewalk and you've got to get on the sidewalk in order mm-hmm. to avoid being hit there's a lot of streets like this i've been yeah. riding a bike my whole life and there's been plenty of time times where i have to get on the sidewalk so we should also be allowed some leeway based on the conditions of the road right yeah and of course there are some sidewalks that you shouldn't ride on you know they're like for example like places where it's pedestrian only mm-hmm. like on the beach uh mm-hmm. like uh like certain boardwalks yeah certain like really dense like walking areas like hollywood yeah. and stuff you should bikers shouldn't be allowed on those sidewalks because well you can injure someone you know there's yeah. just too too it's too dense i yeah i'm generally against uh sidewalk riding i say generally specifically if if and when I do it, and I and I think everybody should have this attitude: is just go slow, you know. And that means if something happens, you can stop quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you're going slow, you'll probably hear the pedestrians uh, uh, complain about you a little more um, because you're going slow. And <laughs> no headphones, right? I, I I make it a thing to say that you shouldn't yeah. ride with with earphones or headphones on because you use your ears to navigate right but you more than often i go out and i see a lot of people even just jogging or or riding their bike with earphones on and that kind of makes me worried i'm afraid that these people might get hit by a car or something because they're not aware of their surroundings right yeah Yeah. and my attitude uh as far as that goes with bicycling is bicycling is so enjoyable that do i really have to have music all the time uh i mean and, and if i do then it should be you know on the handlebars yeah a or, speaker right like a yeah. little speaker on yeah. your bike i think that works much better and safer yeah. yeah and it's the same thing with uh sometimes i go out for a mountain bike ride sutro forest in san francisco or mm-hmm. down here we go to turnbull canyon and and there's guys 
on their mountain bike and they just got the speaker blasting just blah, 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 like whatever kind of music they like and i'm like dude like we came up to the mountain you know like for nature enjoy yeah. the mountain yeah. what are, why are you blasting acdc on the way down you yeah. know why, why <laughs> yeah why are you bringing the city out here we're, we're trying to get away exactly you yeah know? so i i find that interesting too um as far as music goes but i like being obnoxious from time to time with my speaker but only yeah. only in the, only in the city not not yeah. in the mountain you know yeah. Down, out here I, I like being obnoxious with my speaker and plus uh you know people can hear you coming you mm -hmm. know yeah you know this is, it's kind of helpful especially in the city um you know it is what it is yeah so the issue of um traffic laws uh and messengers starting in the 70s to but here let me let me uh do you, do you want a beer or anything i'm gonna get a beer <laughs> uh i'll stick with water for the moment uh, okay uh, but go ahead tell us about the 70s and the issues uh, there i'm gonna i'm gonna step out for a second okay um can you open the door yeah yeah but we can open the door yeah gotcha yeah. So uh, what happened in, I believe it was 1978, was uh, due to uh, pedestrian complaints, uh, the, city of, the city and county of San Francisco, USA, uh, passed a law um, uh, calling for psych, uh, messengers and only messengers to have a license plate uh, put on the the back of their bike either usually it was on the back of the uh, seat uh, sometimes if you had a rack uh, on the back of the rack so it was that it was um, with large enough lettering um, this mentioning the name of your company and the number uh, your employee number um, thanks uh, to identify you so that you could not, uh, or so that you could be identified in case of a hit and run, which unfortunately has happened in our profession. It's, um, Don't worry, I heard everything you said. <laughs> okay. Um, so this law was passed, and it was accompanied by um, the first major crackdown. Can I, can I ask real quick? Is this license plate different from uh, from the plate that's on the bikes? You know, there's like a blue plate issued by the yeah. by the state of California uh, on the down tube that like in the, like a little aluminum. It, it was yeah, it was different. Um, it was supposed to be different in order to identify you as a messenger for starters. Um, the companies were allowed to um, make their own designs. Oh, cool! <laughs> and what my company did was that it was supposed to be with large enough lettering to identify uh, the, the messenger number. So what Specialized Messenger did uh, was they gave us a clear, um, it's not plastic, but it's something like plastic, uh, you know, um, <laughs> it was it was clear and i had my number on there 20 and uh sms for specialized messenger service and a lot of companies got away with um uh the company name would be small uh 
And, and that's because you don't want to be identified? I, oh. gu- I guess so. I mean, in, in my case, in, in my company's case, I looked at it, and I, I'm sorry I forgot his name. Uh, he's a... You know, he's a very funny guy uh, that we are talking about almost 40 years ago. And he he um, had the, it was it was this clear, you know, um, piece of plastic um, or plexiglass, something like that. Uh, and then the number 20, um, which at any kind of distance, I mean, I'm talking about. 10 feet right you could only just see a clear piece of (laughs) plexiglass and and you couldn't really make out the number and i told him that he says that's the idea (laughs) uh well but i want to say on that point is that um i've i've kept my own personal records um but the one i am most honored by is the number zero that is the number of pedestrians i have hurt i've bumped a couple huh uh and what's interesting that's good to know because uh like uh i just sorry to interrupt but i want to mention real quick that i have a lot of messenger friends and their number is not zero you know what i mean (laughs) well hopefully it's not I've seen a sending few people to the hospital. I, I no, know no, no. A, There's yeah. been a few accidents. I've seen yeah. a few accidents. Not, yeah. not anything like purposely like malicious yeah. or anything. Like yeah. First of all, bike messengers are the most non-malicious people ever. Like they're they're not out to to, to really. There are exceptions. <laughs> <laughs> but from from what I've seen, uh, you yeah. know, they're typically how how can I say they 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 are their own arrow. They're traveling in the way that takes them from A to B. Mm-hmm. And they are navigating in a way where they're not getting into other people's way. That's the beautiful thing about a bicycle mm-hmm. is that you're riding in between the lines. Mm-hmm. You're not getting in the way for anyone. That, that to me, yeah. is an exceptional rider. And, you know, of course, you could see a pedestrian a mile away. You know, you know where you're going to be riding, where, where you're more than likely going to hit somebody. But then you get th- not many, but, you, but I have seen these, like, cool guys mm-hmm. who want to be really cool. And they want to have like near misses with everything they come close to, mm. and they do that to pedestrians. They do it to vehicles. They do it to you know. Right now, there's a new trend called the fixie goon trend, and there's these kids doing wheelies mm-hmm. and then getting like like real up and close to, to an object, and then right before they're gonna smack it, they swerve. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why are you doing that? You know? Yeah, <laughs> I, I still don't understand that one. Yeah, I mean we've had various uh, how, how styles. Do you, how do you feel about that? that like uh, the, the no, don't uh, don't come close. Uh, you know. How uh, do you feel about the uh, about the younger generation? Of I mean, I guess coming close is better than hitting somebody, but don't try to come close. Yeah, don't don't do it purposely. Yeah. <laughs> but I was gonna say, um, you know bike messenger the culture has become very attractive for a lot of young individuals mm-hmm. in recent not not just in recent years, i, th- I want to say since the Back 90s then, yeah yeah uh, you know. it's been very attractive for a lot yeah. of cool kids and and there it still is and there's a lot of people that join bicycle messenger work for yeah. maybe a year maybe two years just yeah. to to be cool to get the clout that comes from doing it right they want 
They want the experience. They want the street knowledge. They want the, yeah. they want the plaque. If they were giving away a bike messenger plaque, they would get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so how do you feel about that that side of the culture? Like, do you think there's a difference between a real bike messenger and the ones that do it just for the status? Like, well, I would say there's a kind of a. I mean, I mean, I think you can do both. You can do both. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I enjoy this. <laughs> All right, how about I, this? I feel. I, I mean, I feel. I, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm part of. Uh, uh, I'm a, I'm a part of a heritage uh, that if you talk about not just about bicycling but about messengers, you know the the Pony Express, um, the um, the horse messengers uh, under the Mongol Empire who tied. You look at the the continent of Asia, and and add Europe to it. They they tied. They made that that trade routes those trade routes uh, happen because they provided the communication for yeah, that I i'm part of that but messengers are mentioned in the bible and the word for messenger in the bible is the same as the word for angel cool i didn't know that <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> I, and no, I, I do think and, I, and so I, I i i'm i'm proud of the, you know i'm i'm honored to be in that it's it's i i consider it it's you know, I, I'm glad I, to hear that. I, I'm uh, I consider it a gift from God, and and I'm grateful for that gift. And, you know, that's and, how I, that's and, how I feel about uh, bicycle mechanics. Yeah, I feel yeah. that way about bicycle mechanics for a lot of reasons. Yeah, you guys make it happen because yeah. I'm here, all here, thumbs once I start fixing something. Historically wise, yeah. if you look at vehicles in general, if you look at the bicycle mechanic, they're responsible for the first airplane. You know the yeah. the Wright brothers yeah. were bicycle manufacturers before yeah. they were airplane manufacturers, and yeah. they applied their brazing skills and their welding skills to to making airplanes, mm -hmm. chain drive. You know they had like they had like sprockets and gears on yeah. the airplanes, yeah. and like from a bike. Yeah. And then you look at the motorcycle. You know, yeah. the, the first Indian motorcycle, some of the oldest first moving vehicles in general, motorized yeah. vehicles, were motorized bicycles. Yeah. And then the obviously the the car came from the motorcycle, you know. Then they, they just expanded to four wheels, but basically all of transportation technology has come from the ability to enhance our own energy, our own bodies. Mm -hmm. But this is where I find the difference between motorized vehicles and human-powered vehicles. I think the beauty in the human-powered vehicle is that you're not you're not using any other input besides your own and so yeah. it's really just an enhancement of our own bodies which is yeah. something very magnificent to me because yeah a bike can turn you into a cheetah you know it's yeah. really amazing a yeah. bike can turn you into a, a mule and you can have a cargo bike yeah. that can carry lots of weight for yeah. very far distances you yeah. know a bike can turn the human body into many different things so to me like how you believe that bike messengers or a gift from God the, to be able to work in that field. Yeah. I feel the same way about being a bicycle mechanic. So I'm glad that there are people out there that are proud of their of what they do and you know and mm. want to make it a, a thing, a cultural thing. You know, mm -hmm. I I feel that way about bicycle mechanic work. You know, unfortunately, uh, bike mechanic work isn't as uh, um, 
lavish or cool you know it's not you know it's just not looked at in the same way as being a bicycle messenger but that's okay you know i'm, I'm happy being the guy that fixes the stuff you know <laughs> and uh, all this quote-unquote cool cool guys uh should appreciate it will be cooler if we appreciate uh the mechanics yeah i think you guys do to be honest oh yeah, yeah. not yeah. only are bike messengers a big a big part of uh you know, supporting the local bike shops, but uh, the local bike shops, you know, we look to the bike messengers to get the same kind of clout in reverse. Mm -hmm. Like we sponsor races, we give away prizes, we uh, do the alley cats and, you know, so like, and this, I think it's a symbiosis, you know, we should, we should be working together yeah. you know, on a lot of different yeah. things to make things happen. So I, I, I've always tried to be part of the culture as, 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 as much as I can. In regards to cycling, you know, it, it has, I think COVID, you know, it helped the bike shop, but everything else cycling wise kind of took a big hit, you know, like as far as people connecting and yeah. people wanting to get together and ride. I don't, I don't really see that much of it these days. I, I hope it returns, you know. Well, with the price of gas, it just might. I mean, the, one of the big booms of, for bicycling was in the seventies when, uh, we had our first real gas price crises, uh, the uh, OPEC or Organization oh, yes, of Petroleum Exporting Countries. I read countries. a little bit about that, yes. In, in 1973, uh, they just turned off the spigot uh, for a while. And, uh, and uh, I remember um, not only would there be these long lines of cars uh, trying to get gas, and the gas was... Uh, priced um i think it was reaching like three and four dollars a gallon which in those days would translate to like 12 or 15 dollars yeah, like today yeah, yeah. easy yeah, yeah so folks out there complaining about six dollars that's which this is what you would be getting if <laughs> if we get to that um uh level again and um uh, so I want to get back to, uh, talking about, uh, the issue of when we had these, uh, crackdowns. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. 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 So, no worries. um, I'm gonna close it. Just an outside noise. Um, in, uh, so in 1978, we had, uh, there was a crackdown. I don't really know the specifics. Just uh, well, before, all right. So, like, like crackdowns of what? Like, yeah, uh, uh, crack like government crackdowns on bike messengers. The police. The police. The police city, crackdowns. City police. Yeah. City and police. Yeah. I'll. This uh, is specifically an SF. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I want to hear about this. Sure. Um, there was one in. Um, 1978, uh, they they required us to have these license plates. Um, now, this was before I was a messenger, so I only I don't really have any specifics. I might not even get the year exactly right. And I think we had an early one in the early 80s, like 80 or 81. Um, and then um, my first one was in 84. And so now I can tell you how this actually happened. We get away from this abstract word. And what was happening on the street was uh, 
motorized uh, mo um, motorcycles, dirt bikes, because the hogs, the uh, actually in those days it was Kawasaki's. I think they went back to Harley's again, but the hogs were um, not able to catch us in most cases. And this is in the San Francisco area. Yeah. Um, so, so this is like Dirty Harry times, like, because there, yeah. you know, there's a motorcycle scene in that movie where they got the, uh, I think they have a hog, uh, yeah, and it says SFPD on the side. Yeah, yeah. So that's the motorcycle you're talking about. No. That they, those were the ones that couldn't uh, they could not catch. Keep up. Well, they could on occasion, but but to really to really be getting us in the numbers that they wanted to get us, they needed dirt bikes. Well, first of all, so like I want to ask, why did they want to get you in the first place? Like, what's going on there? Um, suppose oh, in '84. Um, How you experienced it? Yeah. Yeah, in '84, what happened was. Um, a uh, it was either a little girl or an old woman, um, or maybe a middle-aged woman. The the accounts vary, oh, but she got off the bus, and uh, the uh, bus was not close to the uh, curb, so there was a messenger coming up, and the messenger hit this girl or woman. Um, and, uh, a couple guys came off the bus and they wanted to be heroes. And this guy was a little guy. He took off. I mean, he was going to get beaten up. So he took off. And so this sparked this anger of, you know, a hit and run bike messenger. Ah, and so we all had to suffer. That sucks. Yeah. And, um, I remember, uh, um the um it was in December of 84 and uh I remember um I was just riding along and I saw a friend of mine Kimberly Hood um and uh she's unfortunately passed away um but uh she was actually one of those veterans who was always friendly to me. And um, and when I say friendly, I mean in a friendly manner. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, she had a boyfriend. I we're, was not him. We're not interpreting. She, okay. Uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, she was she was friendly. To, she was a real member of the community. And, and we have to give a shout-out to the women of our of our profession because – they have to have more guts. Yeah, it's. A, they it's have a hard... to. They put up with a lot of crap that, you know, guys. You know, guys give me verbal. Drivers give me verbal stuff, but when I get off the bike and they see that I'm over six feet tall, it helps. They <laughs> they just they they just start shouting at me and and then they drive away. Um, a, a couple of them did have some guts. Um, but for the most part, they only get their guts when it's a woman or or a, or a little guy. But, or a little guy. But but uh, like me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're a little bit stocky, but I, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't want to uh, press anything with you. But um, but it, but especially with the women. And uh, Kimberly was one of those uh, brave, um, uh, solid 
gravy dog messengers and uh she cool. she told me she said have you heard about the crackdown and i said uh no what crackdown and she um went to tell me and she says it, and it's and it's looking worse than uh 78 or she she told me worse than the previous one or a previous one and um you know she she said the all the dirt by you know this whole division of the San Francisco police who went on dirt bikes the same kind of bikes you might see you know off road right, or right. rather when i say bike i mean motor motorcycle off road motor, motorcycles adapt uh, maneuverable enough to catch us and and right. much faster and uh so um I had actually gotten a ticket uh, the week before uh, this crackdown started, and this crackdown. Um, so real quick, real quick. So just so I get a mental picture of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. So she's telling you, "Have you heard of the crackdown?" Right? Yeah. And she's giving you the details of this crackdown, and so you're saying that. So is it just you start seeing a lot of these vehicles all over town? Just the financial district. Just the financial district. Yeah, uh, downtown. Downtown. Yeah. And so they're just everywhere. Yeah, and uh, so what do they want? How do? How are they trying to restrict you? Well, they're just catching us uh, breaking the law, or in some cases, they just pulled. Uh, I mentioned I had gotten a ticket uh, the week before because I, I really busted a really fun move uh, at Eighth uh, and Harrison. Um. Uh, but I got caught. <laughs> uh, and um, anyway, uh, but now what happened was um, I got pulled over for being in the diamond lane, which is bus and taxi only. Mm. Now, that's a gray area because according to traffic, the traffic code, the bicycle has to be as far to the right as practicable. Right. Or if it's one way, you can be to the left. Um, but um, I was in, uh, I was on Geary, which is one way at, uh, at the point. It's a very long street. Part of it's two way. But I was on the one way section of it. Yeah, I know I was that off, section. Yeah, I was, uh, I was off on the right, as far right as possible. And, uh, you know, I heard a siren and... Uh, the guy, you know, tells me to pull over, and I try to argue the point. I said, I'm as far to the right as practicable, and he says, that's not the law. <laughs> and I know better than argue that. Yeah, and yeah. I've learned know. some things about dealing with the police. I have respect we all have. We all for, have. Yeah, <laughs> I have respect for them, for the profession, but that doesn't mean I like all of them. <laughs> yeah, on the field, it's different, you know. Th theoretically, what we consider the police is one thing, but when you're out and you're riding your bike, it's yeah. a whole different story, you know. Yeah. So I 100% I, I yeah. understand that. And I don't think that has changed very much in the past 30, 40 years. Well, you know? I'm going to address that issue, but the short answer to that is, um, at least in San Francisco, I think it has. Um, and for the better for us. But we're getting ahead of the story. Uh, right, right. No, continue. Yeah. Continue. So so anyway, uh, I got a ticket for riding in the diamond lane. 
So he gave me the ticket, and uh, and I remember saying, uh, "Did you guys?" There were two of them, and I said, "Did you guys catch that guy, who um, who started this, the 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 hit and run guy?" At that time, I had only heard that he had done a hit and run. I I knew who it was, but I wasn't going to give him up. Oh, you you had some gossip on that, you knew. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. yeah. But but what I had not heard was the part about the two guys trying to beat him up. Um, so I was very mad at him. To me, he was like not representing us. He hit and run a woman. Uh, you know, go get him. You know, <laughs> there's all of you. Go get him. And uh, so anyway, um, they gave me the ticket. And then uh, I think about a week later, uh, they got me. Um, I thought I was I honestly thought I was going through a yellow. They said it had turned red. So I got a, a running a red light ticket, and the guy said, "If I catch you again, you're going to jail." Right. Yeah. And you know, I, I now I'm starting to feel this crackdown now. I yeah. I'm getting a sense. Yeah. Of, of of what what was going on. So that's good. Yeah. And so that was my second ticket of the crackdown. Plus, I still had uh, a previous one, and um, t- to make a long story short. Um, uh, it fizzled or faded uh, as December went on. Oh, by the way, it was 1984, a little Orwellian right. thing there. Yeah, no, 1984. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's funny. Yeah. And then uh, I think in the first week of 85 in J- January, the first week or two of 85, I got another ticket. So I had four tickets that I had to deal with. So I went to uh, night court. And the judge was. Wait, uh, what is night court? What is that? Well, you just take, you know, you you, they they hold court during night. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't they, even know they, that was a thing. That's a lot of cities do it. They probably do it here. Huh. Uh, so if you get a ticket, uh, you know, my attitude was, I'm not going to lose time on this. I'm not going to give up work time on this. I'm going to go to night court, and uh, I went to uh, night court. Uh, I still remember uh, Judge George Colbert. The man should have been on the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Uh, (laughs) Shout out to Judge Colbert. He was always fair with me. He he was, you know, uh, because I I, I would get a lot of tickets in the 80s and 90s. And uh, but sure I took these four to him. You're working the streets. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And just because I asked for night court, didn't I didn't get to pick the judge. I only got to pick the time. Right. But fortunately, I got Judge Colbert, who was a fair man. Uh, he often walked to work. I would say, hi, judge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he lived uh, fairly close by in the Western Edition. He often walked to work uh, in the south of Market, 850 Bryant. Um, so I think he had, uh, there was a rumor that his daughter was a messenger for a while. Um Huh. And um, uh, he, uh, so I think he got a little respect uh, for cycling. Cycling. I, I just picked that up. I don't know if it, if he really felt that way or what. But anyway, he got these four tickets. Now, and I pleaded not guilty to the ones I got in the crackdown, on the basis of, well, I didn't even start. Uh, but I was ready to say I was in the diamond lane. I have a right to be in the diamond lane. You had an argument ready to yeah. go. 
and and I did not run. I honestly feel that was a yellow um, light, not a red one. Um, so I had arguments ready to go. He and but I pleaded guilty to the um, to the red lights, the one I got before the crackdown and the one I got after the crackdown. Mm. He reduced those those two and he dismissed before I even had a chance to say anything. I pleaded not guilty and he dismissed those. Nice guy. Uh, <laughs> fair guy. Fair guy. I, I do remember um, since I would always go to uh, uh, to him uh, that um, or, or go to night court and always get him that one time he only knocked down two dollars off the fine <laughs> because he had been seeing me a little bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was his way of saying. You know, straighten up for a while. So I did for a while. I didn't get any tickets for a while, but I've gotten over 40 tickets. Um, but um, so we had this crackdown in 84. So, wait, so you said you had some tickets pre-crackdown, some during crackdown, some after. So how, what, what was the what, how did it dissolve the crackdown? Like, how did it go away? I think they just got tired of it. I mean, for for one thing. It's December when you got a lot of drunk drivers. You do have um, property crimes. So how long did it go on for this crackdown? It it kind of dis disappeared around about the third week. So about so about a month long crackdown. Let's call it that, just yeah, for uh, the sake of rounding it off. Yeah. Yeah, and p also the last week of the year is really slow. So we were on standby. So what are they going to do? You I know? feel that. Yeah. Um, so there was that crackdown. So uh, let me make a comment if I could mm -hmm. on this whole thing, because um, I'm kind of it, I find something intriguing about this crackdown. And that is that one pedestrian bus bus rider person mm -hmm. gets hit by a by a messenger. Yeah. And this causes an outrage and the police are out to get messengers and now yeah. there's a crackdown but messengers get hit all the time by vehicles purposefully sometimes on accident there's always hit and runs being yeah. committed on messengers yeah. and there's never an, any kind of crackdown in reverse there's never there's never a let's find who's hurting these bike messengers crackdown i've never seen anything like that so i'm curious as to how Maybe it's a perception of what a bike messenger is that caused the crackdown to happen, right? Yeah. Maybe they think you guys are a particular subset group of people that need to be corrected. Right? Yeah. There's this whole thing in society where people have to be corrected, right? Like, you're too free. Mm -hmm. You're doing things in a way that you have too much freedom. Like, what's going on here? You ran over this lady. Yeah. Crackdown. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, you know... I would like to see it in reverse because, to be honest, the life expectancy of a messenger is not very high, you know? like Even after we retire. Yeah. And then it's something that, you know, you would, you're would you a type of anomaly in a, in a sort of way where most of the people that I know that are messengers are either deceased or, you know, stuff has happened, you know? And Taylor, he did an excellent, like, documentary thing on this whole subject, and he presented to me all this information he collected over the past like 20 years of like messengers who had passed away and he did a tribute to them at a bike race that we uh, sponsored uh with the old bike shop fusion workshop and he um he he kind of opened my eyes 
to that to that aspect that yes there there is some glamour and some spectacle to the bike messenger life but there is also like some there there's also things that take away from that from you as a being you know and when you join into to being a bike messenger in the culture per se I think that's kind of like it's the price you have to pay for that that level of um, freedom and and individuality. Um, I don't want to be um, and 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 there's a um, kind of a temptation for messengers to be kind of selfish and um, be too individualistic. Um, and I found myself fighting that inside myself. Uh, I have to watch that. Um, I, I think anybody, um, I mean, it's often associated with artists or people who are nonconformist in other ways. That, that, that's, that, that's the word, not nonconformist. Yeah. That's the word. Because when, honestly, I, I, I didn't live through those times. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know what the 70s look like. I don't know what the 80s look like. I know what the 90s look like a little bit, mm -hmm. but it seems to me that the government and even local government, like mm -hmm. even like the local governments in those days were very, they were very stiff, you know, like they, they weren't allowing certain aspects of people's like expressions to occur. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe why San Francisco is known as like, the leading like capital of the country for progressive mindsets and progressive thinking and uh, why a lot of change occurred through San Francisco. And maybe mm -hmm. that's one of the maybe bike maybe bike messengers is just one avenue of that type of change. Right. Yeah, I think we um, contributed a lot to uh, bike culture in that regard. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. And um, I want to mention uh a couple more crackdowns there was one um i wasn't there at the time but uh we had a hangout place um it was a parking lot um uh south of market and uh you know people would gather there after work um have a few beers um, tell me where this place is give me a mental picture again okay Har harvey's uh, Har you know, I shout know. out to Harvey Wu. Thank you for everything, Harvey. I don't have time to itemize those that gratitude. Uh, wow, that's awesome. So, but, the, so um, you guys are at Harvey's. You're chilling. Yeah, you're hanging out with the boys. Yeah, yeah. Harvey's was an old school corner store where you could get uh, credit and uh, and uh, get your paycheck cashed and um, and. Uh, he there was an empty lot or parking lot um, nearby and uh, we would hang out there and um, socialize and one time uh, a paddy wagon just pulled up or pro it had to be a f it was probably three or four I was not there but I did hear about it even made the papers they uh surrounded about seven cornered about 70 of us arrested about 50 for various charges public drunkenness uh that's a cra that's like yeah that's, that's a crackdown yeah because that meant 
that that was worse than tickets or worse than being threatened with jail. People were arrested, and usually on little stuff. So you know, if I could vagrancy. ask, what was the trigger for this crackdown? I never found out. Maybe they just didn't. So it was just random event. Maybe you guys got too obnoxious in this little like, you know, spot at Harvey's. Maybe it's like nobody sees it. It's south of Market. It's an alley. Somebody always sees. There's always somebody out there snitching. You know there is. <laughs> yeah, snitching is one thing, but having the power to to uh, it back it up with a complaint. It only takes the right person. Yeah. To be bothered. Yeah. You know, to then make something like. But okay, so it came out of nowhere. Yeah, and about fifty messengers were arrested, um, and. I forget, I wish I could remember who said it because it was such a great comment on this, on this situation. He said, you, you corral 70 people and you only get three knives and zero guns. You got the wrong 70 people. Uh, that's so true. Yeah. <laughs> that is 100% true. Yeah. You gather any other amount of 70 people in randomized <laughs> America. You will yeah, get some I stuff. Bet, I bet a few techie <laughs> billionaires. Great. It's, there's there's about 70 billionaires in San Francisco. Let's get them. <laughs> let's <laughs> see, see what's in see their what, basement. Yeah, let's, let's <laughs> see what they got. Um, that was in the late 80s. Um, then we had another major one in 89. Now, 89 was an awesome year on so many respects. There was. Uh, the Afghans threw out the Soviets from Afghanistan. Um, they, their country had been devastated. Uh, That's before my time. Yeah, but it was, it's probably worse than what's happening to Ukraine, although Ukraine is not finished. Uh, but there, there was the so uh, the Soviets had been evicted from Afghanistan in February of '89. Uh, Tiananmen Square. In '89, who was president then? Is Bush, it, George Bush, Bush fir senior, first right? one. Yeah, yeah senior. Okay, got it. Um, and it was his first year. Um, so in June, early June, within like 48 hours, Khomeini died. People were trampled to death at his funeral, and there was Tiananmen Square. All within f about 48 hours, maybe 72, it was like back to back. Um, and um, then also in June, uh, Eastern Europe started getting their freedom from the Soviet Union. Huh. Uh, and it started with Poland in June. And this is because uh, I remember, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, after 89, I think it was like 92 that they got rid of the Warsaw Pact. That was like a thing between all of the, the Eastern yeah, European the nations. So, yeah, yeah, the Soviet Union had fallen. And had fallen, they, so then they yeah, got rid of they the pact. Were, they were the boss of the Warsaw Pact. Exactly, yes. Um, so, June, uh, Khomeini and... Uh, Tiananmen Square, uh, and then later in June, Poland became free, um, and then within a few months, um, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, East Germany, 
uh, Romania and Bulgaria. I think I got them all. Uh, That's very good. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, the Berlin Wall came down, uh, physically, physically brought removed, down. Yeah. yeah. Um, shout out to Mark Rowe, uh, who he was a messenger uh, who was over in Berlin at the time, and he got to. They gave him a sledgehammer, and he got his pieces in. Cool. <laughs> uh, uh, American. Yeah. 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 Oh, I mean, he was visiting, and yeah, uh, he yeah. was in Berlin, and. He said, do you want to take down the wall? Sure. (laughs) And and September of 89, they started another crackdown. Now, the previous ones, we would fight it as individuals, as I did in court. In court, yeah. This time, we all got together. and We started meeting together and saying, what are we going to do about this? Ah. And um, one of the things was, was if we all go to court, we're going to jam up the courts. So there was that. And the other thing was, was um, Marcus Cook, who um, passed away in 96, um, he uh, organized a, a ride de- riding demonstration where a bunch of us, I, I missed it, but, um, but I caught up with him later, and he told me about it. Um, but what they did was they circled City Hall, and they said, uh, I'm pretty sure he made this up. Uh, but anyway, that's what, what we were saying. I wasn't there, but messengers were saying... Uh, Police harassment really sucks. We just want to make some bucks. <laughs> and uh, we were riding around C- City Hall, uh, that whole block there. You're familiar with yeah, it? Yeah, of course. I used to live right right next to it. You know. Yeah. And um, uh, then uh, I think it was Marcus or and maybe a few others went into City Hall and went to the mayor's office and demanded to meet with the mayor. And um, that was Art Agnos, um, who was mayor. At the mayor. time? Yeah. Um, and uh, Agnos, um, Agnos uh, agreed to have a meeting with us. He himself would not be at the meeting, but there would be major city officials. Right. And we found out what instigated this one was that Muni, uh, the the bus and and um, uh, streetcar service, yeah, the rail. yeah. yeah. And, and cable cars, um, the transportation, public transportation system, which in those days was having its own problems with safety, like jumping the curb and hitting people, yeah, on, yeah. A, on, on at least one occasion, and and other safety issues. They had snitched on us, and that's what set it off. So we were scheduled to have this meeting, and um, how did they identify who's uh, just by corralling everyone, or like? uh, No, again, they were doing the same thing. They would have these dirt bike cops go after us, get us for running red lights or for gray area violations. Gotcha. Um, 
and um, so it wasn't a roundup, but it was like a, a like a yeah you know, yeah over time yeah collection of people. I got yeah. you. And um, this time I did not get a ticket, but I did get to go to the meeting. <laughs> and um, when I got to the meeting, um, there was um, a messenger there who had been at the meeting, who who was there to to, to be at the meeting, and um, and uh, he told me later that all these other officials were saying, well, where are you guys? Come on. You, you wanted this meeting. Right. And he was feeling kind of on the spot. And he said, um, when he saw me, when he saw us come in, but uh, he said, when he saw me, he said he'd never seen anybody look so mad. <laughs> and the funny thing about it is that I have this look of being mad that I don't, I wasn't really trying to be mad. I mean, I guess I, I was, I, yeah, I was mad, but I wasn't really trying to look mad. Right. But there's and, a saying, you know, there's a saying for that now, like girls on Instagram, they call it resting bitch face where you're just like on, in rest mode. Somehow you give off the impression that you're upset about a particular something even though you're really not, they call it resting bitch face. There's a new word for it now. <laughs> I think they have to modify it because none of us were bitches that day. None of us. As he said, he said he'd never seen anybody look so mad, but he was also relieved to see there was about five or six more of us, plus him. His name is uh, Michael. I haven't seen him in almost about 30 years. Wow. Uh, and he... Had one of these uh, foot-long uh, Hungarian last names that I can't read. <laughs> uh, but uh, shout out, Michael, uh, if you can. Shout if, out if you're out there. And uh, yeah, and we got in there, and the first thing they told us was that they they called off the crackdown. Um, so the, so wait, so so there is somebody mandating the crackdown. So it yeah. isn't it isn't just a phenomenon of like. Of, of of feelings manifesting it's it's some person police are ordered to police are to ordered to do that to, so, yeah so yeah. there's a so there's an order so there's yeah. a political motivation for it yeah ah, yeah okay. and as i said it was muni it was muni's it was idea muni. yeah. and muni's safety record in those days was not too good <laughs> maybe um, they were just trying to dislodge some blame and put it on someone else. well yeah that's what i when i it was my turn to speak i looked right at the muni representatives and i will say their union did not approve of this their union did not show up at that meeting to to oppose us ah, ah. so shout out to local 250a san francisco muni drivers um but muni had their muni officials there yeah yeah and there were two of them and I said, and I, and I said that we object to, we've always, I've always taken the attitude, we've always taken the attitude that if we're doing our job and a cop shows up and catches us, that's the brakes. Yeah. Yeah. But for them to devote all these taxpayer resources to going after people who you only get only three out of 70 of us are carrying knives and none of us have guns 
you know, to vote to devote these resources uh, to us. Yeah, that's that, that's what we were yeah. objecting yeah. to. And then I looked at these two muni uh, officials and I said, and we are especially disappointed that this idea came from the public transit agency whose safety record is not so good itself. <laughs> and these two <laughs> muni officers, they looked about this tall. <laughs> they just kind of <laughs> shrunk into, their heads just kept getting deeper into their necks. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's funny to say, but sometimes government makes these funny moves and they don't think anything's gonna come from it, you know. They don't yeah. expect uh, any anything yeah. from it, and then it, and then there's a big thing that ha comes from it, and they're like, "Oh shit, we didn't expect this," you know. What do we do now, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, there was another one in the early '90s. Um, I don't think it was as as virulent um, as the one in the '80s. Now, that's a slightly biased opinion because they didn't get me. <laughs> uh, I mean, they, as I say, I, I often got tickets uh, well into the early 2000s, and I've gotten over 40 of them. Um, but um, I paid them all off. You know. So they didn't get you, but what, what, what did this crackdown consist of? Like? Um Again, it was um, motorcycle cops. Um, this time we demonstrated, and I did attend the demonstration uh, at the Hall of Justice, or the Hall of Injustice. Oh, hey, just so you know, uh, Rossi sharing uh, sharing the podcast, mm -hmm. and so is, uh, so is the uh, Chief Lunes. Shout out okay. Chief Lunes, uh, Thanks, Los Angeles uh, Bike Messenger Group. Hope I'm not boring you. Yeah, and it, my bro says he saw you yesterday in downtown. <laughs> okay. He saw you rolling on your uh, somewhere around here, so uh, yeah. Well, so we got some messages coming in. Well, thanks. <laughs> anyways, continue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was the last major one. I mean, there were some. That, that we would hear like uh, that one cop would park at a certain place and in the financial, and he would get every bike messenger that went by. Um, but as far as um, a an organized police division devoted to going after us i think 90 early 90s was the last one um and uh and this is the one that you're telling of uh, about now right this is this so this is the last time you saw an organized crackdown yeah I interesting mean, yeah 80, what, what year is this specifically if you, you know mind me asking like for, I, the, for this last crackdown. early 90s early 90s yeah yeah the 89 one um, and I want to get back to that one because what happened, that was in September of 89. Mm -hmm. What happened on October 17th, 1989? October 17th, 1989. The Giants and the A's were playing the third game of the World Series and... <laughs> Sorry, I don't follow sports. Earthquake. Uh, oh, the earthquake. The earthquake. Oh, that's right. And the earthquake shut down the Bay Bridge for six weeks. That's true. Yeah. Which meant that if you wanted to get something from San Francisco to Oakland, you had to you send a could, bike dude over. You could no longer put it, give it to a car. Now, some of us had been doing, uh, getting on BART 
and going, going to Oakland yeah. or other. So the BART was still operational, even yeah. though even though it's BART, underwater. Yeah, there was. Um, yeah, that kind of scary. That's always kind of been the like, sketchy thing for me. Like, how's that thing going into the water? Like, that's that's scary. It's uh, one but hell of a tunnel. I know, right? And During the, think, uh, it survived yeah. the earthquake. They yeah. Didn't, yeah, yeah, and so, um, so then, then San Francisco really needed us when that earthquake happened because for six weeks we were getting stuff over to. Um, not just Oakland, but everywhere in the East everywhere, Bay. Everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. And we had been doing this uh, in the previous years, um, but we were doing it only on a small scale. Right. Um, and so you saw a surge, a surge yeah. of demand. Yeah. Mm. And one of the things is we proved that most of the time we are faster getting to Oakland than a car. But for some reason... Uh, and maybe, uh, you know, for some reason, you know, we, we didn't get it, you know, even though we proved that we were faster getting to Oakland and even some other East Bay cities, um, we never quite got that business that, that we had gotten, um, during, Dur- the during earth- that time, during yeah. that earthquake, they gave it a lot of it back to drivers. I remember, I remember drivers saying, "Yeah, you guys are faster for for this distance." For, yeah, for that type of delivery. Yeah, yeah of yeah. course. Yeah, and then that's I think that's just like an internal bias that humans have. Like we're so used to doing things a certain way that we want to continue to do things the same way. And even though a new system is introduced that's more efficient we tend to look away from it just because we're so used to the same old thing. You know, we, yeah. we're, we're creatures of habit. Right? And a bias toward technology and away from human power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That, that's also very true. Like, we, the more, we want things to be easier not because a human does it, but because a machine is doing it for us. And it's like, yeah. no, sometimes it's easier if a human does it. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I, feel, I understand what you're saying, but... But back to the story, tell us. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so the earthquake came and we we stepped up and uh, you know uh, the community really um, served the uh, the economy of this, this is post city. The 1989 crackdown, right? This is after. yeah. The September was the crackdown, right? September 89 was the crackdown. Um, the um, October was the earthquake and. That was a time to live in then if you yeah. were in San Francisco. That was yeah. a lot of activity, a lot of things going down for, yeah. for bicycles. Yeah. That's very interesting. The um the thing uh And what what year was the last you mentioned that there was a the last like actual last major, major one. Crack yeah. Crack. What year was that? I think it was 91 or 92. Okay. So a few years later. Yeah. Okay, I don't think it was 92 because I'm remembering that it was in fall and I was out of town in the fall of 92. I was out of, okay, so I'm going to guess 93. Um, uh, And so, uh, oh, yeah, I was saying that we had been in, in the years before uh, we had been expanding our territory. Um, we were, uh, most bike companies, they have what's called a short board and a long board. Short board would be um, 
financial district, Union Square, North Beach. Downtown metropolitan area. Downtown. And then you might call the longboard the greater downtown, out to Van Ness, Civic Center, um, into the Mission, farther into South of Market. Okay, the outskirts. Uh, Yeah, but still pretty much the northeast corner of the city. But a lot of us... That, that so that was shortboard was real close downtown and then the greater downtown um for the longboard well one company uh speedway uh you're rocking the shirt yeah see it. yeah and Ooh, they, uh i <coughs> it shows the back of the shirt shows the back of the shirt yeah, <laughs> get up here now this i did put on myself they wouldn't let me do it while i was working but of course <laughs> on the, but here it is. Oh, snaps. Yeah. And uh, that 97 was my 97 was my number. And uh, so you had the shirt made recently? Um, I, I had the work done on it. Oh, in recent time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I had this shirt for, well, over 20 years. But so what I do is when I wash it, it's inside out. So the lettering is preserved it's getting a little cracked here oh, and there that's cool yeah um but um yeah what was happening was at speedway the short board was the greater downtown area um their walking board was um the walking messengers at speedway um was the smaller downtown area right right and their longboard we're talking about bicycles yes was the same as the uh uh was getting bigger and bigger going out um i was not working at speedway at the time um but i was working at u.s messenger and that was the biggest uh it it was one of the big three there was arrow messenger speedway mess excuse me arrow messenger U.S. Messenger and uh, Western Messenger. Those were the three big fleets of cyclists. And um, I don't know about Aero, and I don't think I don't think Western was really expanding their territory. Maybe um, I had heard sometimes that Aero messengers might occasionally go far, but at U.S. we were really trying to push for getting throughout the city and getting beyond the city so you so this is like the great expansion in terms of messenger historical our territory yes this is a time of and what year is this it was this was starting in the 80s start okay gotcha and um so uh you know we're, we're and i remember the first time i went out of town um i was at u.s messenger and um, uh, I kept pushing, you know, I was getting long tags, um, and, I, and I kept pushing for, get, you know, get me farther, get me farther. Right, right. And uh, finally, um, they sent me to Brisbane, which is uh, just far. Yeah. yeah, it's just <laughs> past Candlestick. It's a separate city. It's outside of the city limits of San Francisco. They sent me to Brisbane and uh, had a lot of fun riding out there because if you hit if you hit the right rhythm riding on Bayshore Boulevard, 
Yeah, I, I've ridden my bike down all the way to Brisbane on Bayshore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know how yeah, you can yeah. really make a good time and hit the lights right and not stop. You yeah, know? I rode all the way down to Brisbane. There's like a jump track, like a dirt jump ramps mm-hmm. that are in some some park in Brisbane. Like it's like a sandy, like near the water, kind of near the uh-huh. near the bay thing. Yeah, and I had a lot of fun riding my bike down there. It is a very cool stretched out road that has like some climbs but some cool descents that just yeah. makes it really fun for me at least uh, i don't know at, at least on bayshore right? that's what i but the traffic is a little heavy there just the tr- cars are moving fast yeah. fast yeah. shit down there <laughs> yeah so anyway i did did a tag to brisbane came back um and i came in after work and uh this guy, uh, Alan, who was uh, a black guy, and uh, a guy named Mike, who was uh, Salvadoran. And Alan said, uh, I heard somebody went to Brisbane today. And <laughs> Mike points to me and says, this white boy. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, eventually, you know, and I would start going, you know, so that proved that that we could go far and fast and um you know we were so you expanding our territory you consider yourself a pioneer of distance as far as bike messenger work goes there was a a lot of us uh, you know a pioneer yes but 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 don't be modest you know okay yeah you were a guy you went far you went fast (laughs) <laughs> I went far, sure. Uh, <laughs> nobody will believe me today that I went fast, but back in those days when I was younger, sure. Uh, but um, but yeah, there were, you know, um, the other companies uh, were expanding their longboards, and uh, and I remember when I went to work at uh, a company, he said uh, the guy's the his name was Harry, um, but I can't remember his last name um anyway he said okay howard you can work here but i don't want you going to oakland or outside of the city (laughs) because i got (laughs) drivers up the ass (laughs) and 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 i was actually um i had had a falling out with my previous uh, employer so i was kind of like i need i need some work here so oh well okay about two weeks after I got uh, hired on there, they said, uh, oh, um, by the way, can you do this Hayward? <laughs> <laughs> Hayward, now that's far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all on BART. Um, of course it is. Yeah, there's yeah. no way to get across the bay. For people that don't understand what we're talking about, because there's a lot of Angelinos listening to this right now, but basically earlier we mentioned the Muni, and that's – sort of like the metro rail system which you wrote you wrote today right that's like yeah. the over the top metro rail system except all of it is connected here there is no bart here there is no well, super your, fast your speedway it's not as fast as bart but the metro covers a, a similar similar uh, distance area, area similar yeah. distance but it's just not the fast underwater cool bart yeah. thing that we have yeah. over there but down here metro mta is like muni and yeah. uh, and then so that that's what that's what's able to get people in the Bay Area across the water because in case people don't know, San Francisco, Daly City, and anything below that is all in a peninsula, and it's surrounded by water. So the only way to get across is a if you're driving, and you have to drive across one of the bridges if you're going to Sausalito, 
Marin County, you drive over the, over the Golden Gate Bridge. If you're going to the Bay Area, if you're going to Oakland, the East Bay, in Berkeley, you have to drive over the Bay Bridge. So those bridges during the day, it's like full on traffic. Like it's impossible to get through. It's like it's it's a it's hectic every single day, right? Yeah, in the morning. Yeah. So that's why you said earlier that bike messengers were able to get stuff across during the times where the when the Bay Bridge was closed. Yeah. Because the BART operates underwater, which is very interesting because it's it's a subterranean tunnel. And it goes underneath the water across to the other side, which is still very cool to me. I still am like kind of bewildered by that. Yeah. But, you know, um, in case you guys are wondering how travel works in the Bay Area, that's how it works. Just yeah. for the, our Los Angeles listeners, you know. Sure. I, I would say that uh, the Metro is comparable to BART in distance, uh, but more like Muni in, in speed. In speed, yeah. yeah that, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's some underground sections of the... Yeah. Of the, uh, but there's also underground sections of Muni, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah. it's kind of the same thing as Muni, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and we use the same cards. Well, not the same card, but like a very similar. Like in the Bay Area, you have a Clipper card, right? Right, and it's like a blue card, and you use it to tap. Down here, we have a tap card. Right. Same bullshit, you know, mm. different system, but mm. same fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> it costs reasonably the same price to get around. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad you find your way down here pretty easily um you can see how it connects even though la is so big i'm lucky to be at the end of one of the exits you know so that mm -hmm. you can ride the train on the way down here otherwise it would be very difficult to get into this area just because the south bay is um is there is not much like in terms of like vehicle transportation there isn't many highways that bring you down here mm -hmm. which is why i think um the price of homes is more expensive out here and why like it hasn't been "quote unquote" gentrified, gentrified. yeah, just yeah. because it's it's more difficult to get all out to this side, yeah. as opposed to the rest of the city that already had this. This is why a lot of places kind of didn't want these railways built, is because they knew it would bring different, you know, transportation opportunities for other people. Mm -hmm. There are some people they didn't want in their neighborhoods, you know, mm -hmm. like, like Venice Beach, Santa Monica, Culver City. We have a brand new rail line. Maybe you saw it on the way down here. It's called the Expo Line, and it's, it's brand new. It's been yep. built in the last, like, two, three years, and it goes now from downtown to the beach, mm -hmm. to Santa Monica. So that, that's never been a thing that, that we've – if you wanted to go to Santa Monica on a bike, it was like a 40-mile expedition. You know, like, you'd, no matter which way you picked, it would take you a while to get there. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Los Angeles. But uh, if you're, Kinda down, sorta. you're down here for a little bit, if you want to go ride some bikes, let me know. We can jump mm. on some bikes. I'll show you some cool stuff around here. I mean, I grew up down here, so I know I know this area, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, I'll have to say next time because I'm leaving uh, Friday morning. However, uh, I hope there is a next time. I, yeah, absolutely. I For a long time, living, being raised in Northern California, I had that Los Angeles is evil <laughs> attitude. <laughs> Don Drysdale uh, throwing beanballs at Willie Mays and oh Willie McCovey. No. Uh, the uh, the Lakers using all that money to beat the Warriors. Uh, that, the, that's the, true, though. <laughs> uh, the the politics, you know. Well, let me just say that L.A. Yeah. You know, you can think of it in two sections. You can mm -hmm. think of it kind of like you think of it about the Bay Area as you know, main city, and then East Bay. 
something similar like that's going around here, but except it's not separated by a body of water. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's just separated by 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 distance. Mm-hmm. So, on this side of the city, the northern area, we have like Culver City, Beverly Hills, Hollywood, North Hollywood, and like all the all the things that you don't like about LA, they kind of more reside on that side. And then you have the whole southeast LA area. Yeah the South Bay area and then, you know, Long Beach and like a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. This, all this stuff is probably unexplored to you. And it's probably like, it, it, that's what, that's where you want to hang out. That's, that's where all the bike people are at. That's, you know, we travel up to LA mm-hmm. to do things and then we go home. We go back down to go home, you know, and it is quite a way. Like any, anyone yeah. traveling to downtown from here, it's quite a distance, you know, it's like yeah. 20, 30 miles up north. So yeah, it's not exactly super close. So this, these are the areas that I think you would find kind of cool. You, you, you would think some of these guys are very Bay Area like, you know, there's mm-hmm. certain areas that look exactly like the Mission District, certain areas that mm-hmm. look exactly like places that you would probably recognize and you'd be like, oh, this feels, this feels natural. This feels yeah. Right. yeah, well, I was uh, on Alvarado Street, uh, which uh, is kind of like, um, it's more like the Mission District in the 90s, but the Mission, you know, we have, a, we have all these shops and all this activity and all this energy. Yeah. And, and, yeah. I, and I really appreciated it. I mean, that's the, and that's the northern part of the city. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's like an island yeah. of, of, of down here, up there. And the interesting thing about that is that if you, in case you were not familiar with the demographics down here, but up north, uh, Hispanics, particularly Mexican people, make up like a very low percentage of the whole city. I think something like, like, like three to five percent, like very low percentage of the entire city. And the I, entire city? I, I looked it up myself. Yeah, wow. and Hispanic people in general are very low numbers. Whereas down here, right, like I think Hispanic people make up the majority of this city. Like something huh. like over over 45 percent you know yeah. like that's a huge number yeah for hispanics latinos to to occupy the la area so i think that's one of the biggest intrinsic differences between here and there mm-hmm. but uh you know next time you come around you have some more time i would say come take a tour with us we we go ride bikes and uh you know there's a there's a lot of group rides i know you're not on the internet per se but uh if you send us a text message i can hit you with a there's oh, I have email. There's, there's organizations yeah. of group rides that we uh-huh. do down here. Um, and, and, it, and there's a thing called uh, midnightriders.com. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you just go on this website, midnightriders, R I D A Z Z.com, you can find out everything there is to find out about bike culture in LA, whether it's critical mass, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, party rides, whether it's a bike race. And, uh, and that, of course, we're heavily involved in sponsoring bike races and we just recently did a crit race shout out to ill and sick shout out to chief lunes and la uwc we did a race recently in torrance which is down the street from here and it was very cool lots of cool people came out um unfortunately the police raided the the race of, uh, as usual you know mm-hmm. they kind of stopped it short so the women got to race and the like everyone else, like but the men's main category didn't get to complete their race unfortunately but it happens sometimes, you know. The police are always out there trying to shut shit down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's what they do. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah uh, you know, next time pull up and we can definitely take a tour of the city. And um, a lot of the guys from the Bay Area um, that you know that are messengers today, like 
like uh you know rossi the 415 king and taylor, taylor and all these guys they come down here often and we cruise around and a lot of us down here very often go up there and do some riding over there as well so yeah definitely if i'm in san francisco definitely gonna hit you up so we can meet up yeah <laughs> um you know, you talk about bike culture, and uh, we made uh, contributions. I, I think in the 90s, bike culture was, I don't want to say that it was at its height, because I want its height to be now, but I just feel that way, and I kind of feel, at least in the Bay Area, I'll speak for the Bay, or, or about the Bay Area, I think that our by culture, and now I'm talking about in general, not I, I not think, just messengers. I think everywhere. I think in general. I think bikes. I think bike culture was a lot bigger in the early '90s mm. than it is now, only because it was more accepted as a form of transportation. There wasn't so much stigma behind it, you know. Like it, it was just cool. Um, you can tell, as a bike mechanic, I can tell you. You can tell what eras of cycling were good and which ones weren't mm -hmm. just by looking at the bikes like if you look at a bike that was made in the 80s it's really not that good those bikes are very heavy produced with very mild steel they were not very good but when you look at a 90s bike like an mm -hmm. early 90s road bike or mountain bike they were very good bikes like it means that people were very active in terms of cycling and they really wanted the best in terms of what they could ride you know yeah so uh, I, I see end of the Cold lot. War, so titanium uh, was freed up from the defense industry, and we started to get some of that yeah. in the bikes. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it was great. This is a big, I, I I love titanium bikes. This, that's my thing. I have a few myself, and I'm obsessed with those things. <laughs> <laughs> they're I'll pricey. Have to get me one someday. They're pricey, but they're totally worth it. Uh, okay. I could tell you that. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> but anyways, uh, sorry to distract you from point. But yeah. yes, I do agree that in the '90s. Uh, cycling was important, yeah. you know, more so than it is today. But, but that doesn't mean that it can't become what it was. I think it's on its it's on its way, you know, it's yeah. on its way. We just need to nudge it over a little. We need to help it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Six dollars <laughs> a gallon might uh, that might help that it. Might nudge <laughs> it. Yeah, I mean, as I as I mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of um, bike. Uh, uh, revival uh in the 70s be, because people did not want to pay what what would now be the equivalent of 12 or 15 dollars um now as far as that uh um culture in the 90s that rev that 90s revival um a lot of that did come from uh the messenger community um and there was always kind of this uh socioeconomic class difference between us and the commuters who in san francisco are usually represented by the san francisco bike coalition bicycle coalition and let me tell you now that this particular coalition mm -hmm. is a tricky one, you know. I, I like a lot of the things that they've done politically. In You're terms talking of, about down here. No, I'm talking about up there. Oh, the, okay. The San Francisco Bicycle yeah. Coalition. Yeah. They've done a lot of things to to help 
the bicycle community, maybe not so much in recent years, but in recent years, that organization has become highly politicized and they've been like doing very strange things that I don't necessarily agree with, you know? So I'll just say that, that out loud, just so that people understand that I'm not a hundred percent on board with everything that the SF bicycle Peace. coalition has done the SFBC specifically that coalition, but yeah. But back to your point. Yeah. Um, th- there was ca- always this kind of, I, I wouldn't even call it division, more like a, a separation or a, a, di- a difference. And, but, but it was a difference we accepted uh, a lot um, more readily and, 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 and understood. And, you know, and it was like uh, a friendly rivalry uh, yeah, in a way. In yeah. A way. yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, both gr- both groups started. You know, there there were commuters and messengers involved in the start of critical mass, the first critical mass, September nineteen ninety two. Um, uh, there were bike messengers who had participated in in that um, first critical first critical mass. Sure. Um, and I always like to say that we, um, sometimes we would, uh, a group of us, a group of messengers would take over a critical mass. We just, we decide where the, uh, ride would go. You don't have to tell me, trust me down here. We have critical mass and it's literally exactly the same thing. Hmm. The average commuter organizational group political group organizes critical mass and then the cool guys the bike messenger cool guys they'll just be like nah we're going that way (laughs) this happens down here all the time trust me it's happened down here for years although it's not as popular as it was yeah you know but but it's still it's still around um well i mean when i say we 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 would direct the whole thing there would just be a, a group of us you know, uh, about sometimes less than ten of us would be directing hundreds of of people. Um, and it was kind of fun, and it, it's not like they were sheep. It's like they w- we came up with routes that they liked and they wanted to go on. Yeah, of uh, course. We we went to the Bayview. The first, I think, the first two critical masses to go to the Bayview were led by bike messengers. And you look at that on the map. Right. That's a long distance. And it's, um, you know, but, but people don't like, all right, what, this is something that I've also noticed about critical mass and some of these like East Bay bike ride crew and mm-hmm. S San Francisco bike ride crew, bike party mm-hmm. crew or whatever they call themselves. Bike party. Bike party. Yeah. So they, they have the East Bay bike party, SF bike party. Uh, the one thing that I've noticed about most of these ride groups today is that they only want to ride in the metropolitan SF area? Like they don't mm-hmm. want to. They don't want to go to Bayshore, Bayview. They don't want to go yeah. to Mission. They want to stay yeah. in the city, Chinatown area. And a lot of people don't like. I've been on many of these rides when I used to live down there, maybe five, six years ago. And to be honest, I didn't like any of those rides. Mm-hmm. Like the East Bay Bike Party was kind of cool. But mm-hmm. the SF bike party was dry and boring. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like, what's going on here? And I, I, I'm the kind of person that when I go on a bike party ride, like I go full, I go all out. Like I mm-hmm. have a tall bike, 
I have a music bike, mm-hmm. right? Like, so actually, if you look at this thing, this thing right here is an amplifier yeah. for a music, for a party bike. So it's, it's got, it's powered by a Ryobi drill battery, believe mm-hmm. it or not. And um, you plug in your speakers to it, you mount it on the bike somewhere. So I've been making these kind of contraptions for, for years now. And so I'm I like, when I go on a bike party ride, I, I want to be loud. You know, mm-hmm. I want to have cool music. I want people on tall bikes. I want people with cool lights and their wheels and stuff. You know, like I want it to be a party ride, right? Um, San Francisco bike party is such a dry ride. Mm-hmm. It's just like yeah. very uh, corny ride, to be honest. Uh, okay, <laughs> I've never been, I, I I've never been on except for the one time where uh, I got off uh, BART at Balboa Park in the southern part of the city, and it coincided with my ride from there to my home. So I went w- along with yeah, it. But that's that's the one. Yeah, they, they, that's their route. They go down to Balboa. Uh-huh. They start there, and then they ride up and into the city from there. Yeah, okay. so that's the start point. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I remember is that uh, the the route diverged from where, you know, I was just I was kind of tired. It was Friday night and I wanted to go home. So that's my only experience. And maybe it has to do with the fact that the majority of commuters in the San Francisco area are no longer how Rossi would put it, San Francisco natives. You mm-hmm. know, like like. Like San Francisco is a city that's made up of people coming and going, so maybe a lot of it has to do with that. That you know, maybe commuters are a different organization of how you described it as a rival organization, simply because maybe they're people that are coming and going from the city, right? The friendly rivalry. In I mean, I I wanted to maintain as a friendly rivalry, but it was a lot more friendly in the '90s. Um, I would say so because today, yeah. like, commuters can be kind of annoying. You know what I mean? Like, and and I'm a commuter most mm-hmm. of the. Like, I'm not a bike messenger, right. so I don't. I cannot be counted in the bike messenger group, right? So, uh, who am I? I? I'm a bicycle mechanic. I ride to work. I ride from work to home. I go on party rides. I go shred mountains and stuff. So when I'm riding my bike on the street, I'm a commuter, right? But commuters annoy me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yo, who are these dudes? Like, <laughs> like I don't know what to call these guys, but there's something else. Yeah. But these guys are like, these are the kind of dudes that where you're riding in the Panhandle. If you for people that don't know what the Panhandle is, it's a little strip of park that connects certain areas of the city. You're riding in the Panhandle, and there would be a guy who pulls up next to you on like a brand new bike, and he's just like, on your right or on your left, and like announces himself turns on his blinker goes up in front of you passes you gets in your way has like pannier bags that are like hard to navigate around <laughs> doesn't go too fast but doesn't go too slow either like i don't know there's a new type of commuter you know? mm-hmm. i can't quite put my finger on like what it is or like how to describe them but they, but there's a new type of commuter and they, they're doing something different <laughs> okay um i whenever they get on my nerves i just say well at least they're not in a car <laughs> that's very true that's very especially true. if they don't if they're not if they're not riding well they're not going to drive very well you, oh that's exactly my next point is that all right maybe these people are applying their driving habits to the bicycle as this is like a new phenomenon to them right maybe 
Maybe they're applying some of these habits of driving into the bike. And maybe it's just taking a while for them to dissolve some of these bad habits. Let's call them bad habits, right? (laughs) But at the same time, um, I wish that more people would ride a bike because maybe their driving would get better, you know? Maybe they maybe they would understand speed better, understand, you know, navigation better, where they're going, they'll be more aware of their surroundings, who they're driving next to, how close are they to stuff, you know? I think I think it's very strange that someone can go from taking a test on on paper to driving and and they don't understand these fundamental like physical properties. It's too easy to get a driver's license. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, I think that's our political economy, you know. You know, it's getting you know you know right now in L.A. something funny just happened. Uh, actually, not L.A. All of California. Uh-huh. Uh, you don't need to go to the D.M.V. to take a driver's physic like in physical test anymore. You can do it online now. But you still have, don't you still have to drive a car? No, not for your first one. <laughs> not right now. Because of COVID and this, all the, you know, they're that's, they're, an ex- that's an excuse. Yeah. So, you know, of course it an is. An excuse but, you know, to keep people in cars. They want to keep so. people in cars, but also there is maybe costing them too much money to, to have to process these many people trying, you know, new drivers. So they're finding easier, cheaper ways to do that. And one of them is make them go online, you know, make them go on the website and sign up there. And, you know, I wish they find <laughs> a way to, you know, if they want to. <laughs> save money is uh not have so many people getting driver's licenses i mean but then you can't pay the tickets if you don't have a driver's license then i paid g- my tickets i was on a bike <laughs> <laughs> i bet that's I, the worst thing about a bike is you still get tickets <laughs> and you and you're not even driving i i i i i accept that i i think it's part of <laughs> a price you know it keeps it keeps me honest. Well, let me say this thing though, right here. Yeah, riding a bicycle is a right. No yeah. one can take that away from you. Yeah, yeah. Driving is a, a privilege, privilege that you yeah. have to earn. And yeah, not yeah. Too many people. Yeah, there's driver privilege, but they haven't earned it. Nope, they haven't earned it. And to me, that's a big difference in like how we maneuver, how we transport. You know, the government taxes us so heavily for driving a vehicle. I was just telling you about this. I have to do an oil change. I have to do a smog check. I have to do pay insurance, pay registration, pay all these different things, maintenance. You ride a bike, it's very freeing. You know, it's just, just get on the bike and you go, you know. And, yeah, maybe you get a flat tire. That's, like, the most frustrating thing that could happen, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, second to getting hit by a vehicle. But, you know, I and I, I, know, I hope that never happens to any, anyone I know that rides bikes. Although I've been hit with by a few vehicles in my lifetime, and I've broken a few mirrors and broken a few windshields, you know, and it just comes with the territory. Yeah. But I'm a little bit on. I grew up in L.A. I grew up in South L.A. where people don't give a fuck about bikes, you know. People, yeah. people down here drive like maniacs, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how people get their license down here. It's it's incredible. It, if you go out here, you can you can feel the intensity of the of the negativity, the aggressiveness of the drivers that are down here. If you just yeah. ride your bike for like a few blocks. So growing up with that type of environment, it made me really like, I hate to say it, but I, I'm a driver. I drive a car, but I'm not against drivers, you know, but, mm-hmm. but when I'm on a bike, it makes me feel a certain type of way when people are aggressive towards me. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And some of us take defensive measures against that. Yeah. And I'm not going to advocate this type of behavior, of course. You yeah. Know? But it's you understandable. You can't deny that there's a subset group of people that take this to in matter into their own hands. You know, yeah. and sometimes we smash stuff, you know, and yeah. that's just the way it goes. I'm not like I said, I'm not going to advocate for that behavior. But yeah. but, you know, it happens, you know, <laughs> and I yeah. and I've done it and I'm not going to. I'm not going to lie about it or make it less known. Like, it's just part of maybe the environment that you grew up riding a bike in, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. But, hey, man, it's been real fun. We've been at it for, like, almost two and a half hours now. Uh, this is really awesome. Well, can I uh, maybe get a little yeah, yeah, concise? Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, um, Here, let me uh, actually, before sure. you. So, I know you wanted to leave a plug-in on your sub stack, so I'll let you do that in a little bit. But also, finish getting precise about this. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go use the Russian recovery, right? Okay. But yeah, uh, I wanted to talk about our contribution, the messenger contribution to the greater, uh, the larger bike uh, culture and community uh, that, again, came off from the uh, 80s and 90s. Um, as I mentioned, we uh, helped start Critical Mass, um, and uh, some of us uh, joined the San Francisco Bike Coalition, Bicycle Coalition, and uh, are still members. Um, I mentioned, uh, well, what I really should mention is the Cycle Messenger World Championships. Uh, when I first became a bike messenger, I had two dreams. One was that there would be an international championship of bike messengers and that there would be a uh, union of bike messengers. Um, maybe I'll have to save the second one for another time, um, but uh, because that's very complex and uh, although we made some very significant uh, gains, uh, we were not able to get a union for, uh, we were not able to get a permanent union. Um, but uh, to talk about uh, the, champi- the championships, uh, the, uh, in 1993, uh, the owners of uh, some companies, bike messenger companies in Berlin, uh, organized the first Cycle Messenger Championships. They called it the Cycle Messenger Championships. The next year it was changed to Cycle Messenger World Championships. And um, although they were organized by company owners, these company owners were very, um, they were more about bikes than, than about the money. Um, and as a result, they did well in both categories. And uh, they were able to finance uh, the first Cycle Messenger World Championships in Berlin in 93. I was not able to attend that one. Um, but from the start, San Francisco was contributing about 20 people from, uh, from the community to each Cycle Messenger World Championships. We often call it the worlds. Um, I think that's what we called it back then, the worlds. 
and I think people still call it that. Um, so the first one, Berlin 93, I was, and there was a significant San Francisco turnout um, for that one. Um, 94, um, it was in London. Um, again, a significant uh, turnout, about 20 of us. Um, the next year uh, was in Toronto, and uh, again, um, San Francisco had one of the largest contingents, maybe the largest one um, outside of Europe. Uh, one of the things that we noticed was that uh, uh, European messengers make good money. I mean, we could just see by the bikes they rode and the clothes they wore and and uh and the and the restaurants they went to during <laughs> you know during the championships uh, oh, my so um you know that uh and that was i think a contribution to the effort to want to unionize um so in 94 um excuse me 95 we were in toronto and um it uh, there was a an open air meeting, uh, the the awards ceremony. After the awards were handed out uh, for the various categories, um, uh, someone uh, it was put out uh, a vo for a voice vote as to where it would be held in '96. And uh, by a voice vote, it was overwhelming for San Francisco. And a lot of that credit, uh, the majority of that credit goes again. I mentioned Marcus Cook for his work on the uh, against the '89 crackdown. He also um, had uh, helped organize um, support for San Francisco in '96. Um, so, by voice vote. Um, San Francisco uh, was chosen, or rather was su supported, but the European company owners were a little bit gun-shy about giving it to San Francisco, and I think that's part of that whole hippie uh, um, image right. stereotype. Um, it was also because there had been some organizational and financial troubles in Toronto. Now, as a social event, uh, most people really enjoyed themselves. I did. Uh, but um, uh, the European company owners who had started this, so they had a say in this, uh, they had a meeting with us the next morning uh, and this time, instead of an open-air meeting with everybody, it was uh, inside an office, um, in a building inside an office. And um, they voiced their reservations, and they felt that it should be held in New York. And um, part of that was, was that they had personal um, friendships and and relations, business relations with New York, and um, 
So if I could ask, yeah, what what was New York's turnout as a book? Because you said that San Francisco had numbers. We outnumbered them heavily. And so, remember, New York was, you know, it's it's a day's drive. It's a few, it's a few days bike ride, and we outnumbered them. And we had two people who rode from the Bay Area to Toronto. Hmm. So, you know, we had them heavily outnumbered. We had the support of the other rank-and-file people, especially North America, Canada, and the U.S., but also many European uh, messengers, rank-and-file. Nevertheless, I, I, I feel, if I putting myself in the European company owner's position, um, I understood, we understood their concerns, uh, but we felt that we should go ahead, and they said we came to a compromise where the decision would be made in December. Now that put a lot of pressure on us to go back to San Francisco and organize a world-class event uh, from a city that only seven years ago, well, actually counting the early 90s, probably only about three or four years ago, had been you know, persecuting us. Right. Uh, Boston had a similar problem, uh, I think, in 2000. Um, and so, you know, we we were like, you know, you're not going to give us much much time if we choose in December. And their response to that was, well, then why not just give it to New York? And I said, no, 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 come on now. This is what... This is what the people want. The right. people at least should get this chance. So we agreed that we would wait until um, uh, they would make the decision in, in December. So we were going back and we were going to the city saying, we might get this uh, next Labor Day weekend. And uh, so city officials were kind of a little cross-eyed about that. But right. to make a long story short, we overcame that, and in December, and to give credit to uh, the Berlin, especially the Berlin um, uh, company owner, um, he he came he came to uh, the United States in December, went to New York, came to San Francisco, and he said, "Yeah, this is you guys have the right spirit," and. Um, that was his word. And uh, so we got approved. Um, there were even a couple people in San Francisco who felt that, oh, no, we're going to blow it because partly because we only had nine months, eight months, really, Labor Day weekend, eight months to organize. And so um, whether we blew it by being inefficient or blew it by not having a decent chance, they were worried that we were going to blow it. Um, but um, to make a long story short, uh, we succeeded. And um, we uh, started it with a critical mass. Um, and uh, a lot of people uh, to this day believe it was the best one ever. I happen to believe that the one the next year in Barcelona in 1997 uh, was better. Um, 
<laughs> but I'm a little biased on that one because that's where my daughter got started. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll spare you all the details, uh, but uh, shout out to Momo. <laughs> and uh, um, so in 96, uh, we uh, organized the... Um, uh, we organized the championships. It was very successful. It was financially successful so that we were able to distribute money to bike charities, including overseas ones. And um, also Barcelona did the same thing. I don't know how other ones organized theirs, but Barcelona um, just made a profit and gave that money to a bicycling group in northern Africa. Um, cool. And um, the that had a very positive effect uh, on bike culture in general um, in San Francisco and also in our relations with the city. And I remember one time, just a few months after the championships, I was running. I was running a red light, and at the last second, I saw a cop sitting. Uh, on his on his bike diagonal from me we used to call kitty corner <laughs> and uh and i thought oh well i'm in the middle of the intersection i better complete this but as soon as he saw me he did this he went <laughs> uh, for those of you old enough to remember hogan's heroes sergeant schultz <laughs> he just turned his head right away i see nothing <laughs> and I just kept riding, and um, I can. I still did get a few tickets afterward, but I, so you're saying that the the negative image was turned around slightly by some of the success of these events. Yeah, modified, we might yeah, say. Modified, um, yes. decreased, decreased. Yeah, but not gone altogether. It never will be, and yeah. and as I say, maybe it shouldn't. Um, <laughs> Um, thanks for reminding me about the uh, Substack. Um, before I mention that, um, do you have any more questions? Uh, no, I mean that kind of like, you know, gives me a good picture, good a good image, mental image of kind of what it was like to be a messenger throughout the late '80s, early '90s. Um, I am curious how you continued on riding bikes into the you know into the last two decades like the 2000s and the 2010s what kept you going on your bike throughout all those years as opposed to you know many other people don't really make it that long uh well it's it's enjoyable um and uh i've picked up a variety of part-time jobs that kind of helped me get this um balance that um it gives me, um, you know, interesting things to do in my life. Uh, substitute teacher. Oh, cool. Um, I've worked in uh, mosquito control uh, using my bike. Um, uh, I've worked in a chocolate factory. Um, right now I'm a walking messenger as well as uh, doing DoorDash. Um, so, uh, I worked in a bookstore, uh, 
I've had lots of opportunities. And so would you say, because the average bike messenger attitude is this hyper aggressive, like I want to do everything all at once kind of attitude. And, uh, you know, is that short lived? Is it, is it better to maybe play things out in the longer run? Is it, is it better to let things happen in their own time? It seems more like you're just kind of cruising now. Like you're just, you know, letting things happen how they want to happen kind of thing. Yeah, I was until COVID. <laughs> I mean, I, I did have, um, I was working at specialty right up to COVID. Um, I mentioned. Uh, I mean, even in your writing, like, for example, yeah. like you, you may still be a bike messenger. You may still do deliveries. But yeah. are are you more relaxed in how you manage the each even even down to the eat to each delivery like are yeah. you like because i know like all right people drive their cars they get road rage yeah right? yeah but people ride their bikes sometimes they get upset too you know yeah. with the traffic yeah. and with all these things like yeah. does that stuff affect you less now or are you more like just kind of chill about all that stuff i i think i am more chill um because of the fact that um i don't you know, I don't have to work full time. Or, um, you know, I'm old enough to collect Social Security, so that is nice to know that uh, um, I make I make rent. Yeah, and you're lucky enough to collect it while it's still there. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that when I reach the age where I can collect, that there's not gonna be nothing there for me. You know? <laughs> it's yeah, and it's such a good thing. I mean, I remember. Um, um, when I started working, my first job was uh, working as a, as a farm laborer. Uh, I picked uh, blueberries, picked squash, and a few other crops because um, we were, you know, in Santa Cruz County, and uh, the opportunity was there. And um, at my, when I got my first check... I didn't know about deductions. And I said, I'm paying taxes? I'm just a kid. <laughs> my dad says, you're working. You're paying taxes. But I was also, I also understood that I was paying Social Security. And my grandfather started getting it, um, I think, the next year. Um, and it so was a you, good you feeling. Saw it. You saw yeah. it in action. Yeah. yeah, it was a good feeling knowing that I was helping my grandfather. And... Um, you know, and, and now I'm collecting money that um, my d my daughter is is contributing to me. So that's interesting because I'm sure you realize that today, especially, so I, especially excuse me. So up. I do hope it lasts long enough for her and you. I do too, as well. Yeah. Um, but I was saying that, especially in San Francisco, the anti-government sentiment is like very strong right now, right? So like. I've noticed that right now, even considering paying taxes or these simple civilian things that we've known for so long are now looked at in a different light, right? Now, everything everything that the system does, the system is now oppressive and there's whole classes of oppression now and there's like whole, there's like this whole thing where like no one wants to contribute or participate in this anymore and 
everyone thinks that they deserve more than they have and it's a strange world we live in today you know so i do hope that things kind of take root again in the what what what's considered like american values right mm-hmm. I, I i do hope that things go back to that i hope that you know bikes are not demonized the way that they have been for so long i hope that especially if you're from la you know that if you ride a bike in la you're instantly judged as a poor person you know yeah like it, like it, that's bad yeah yeah <laughs> like if, if like you don't have a car why you know are yeah. you poor like the only people that ride bikes down here are like crackheads and like tweakers and stuff like this you know like yeah, according yeah. to everyone else you know yeah you could spend seven thousand dollars on an e-bike when the police pull you over it's still just a bike to them you know they're still just gonna either confiscate it or arrest you or give you a ticket or whatever they're gonna do you know so i really hope that this stigma goes away you know i hope that yeah. we can get to a point where where bikes are considered a good thing for the yeah. environment for people it's the right it's the right way to transport yourself. I, I understand that people have to drive, especially in L.A. Uh, and, and in so many other parts of the country. I understand that. Um, and we have to move our economy and our culture away from that. Um, yeah, think, think about this for a second. Did you know that in L.A. specifically, I think like 70% of all transportation that occurs in a vehicle is within five miles. Yeah. So like you can get rid of the usage of vehicles for yeah. li- like 60 percent at least yeah. just just by using a bike within five miles, you know, and using, you know, vehicles are necessary when transporting large objects or going further distances. That, that's totally acceptable. I accept that, you know. Yeah. I use a vehicle when I need to go do certain things. And, but but within five miles, you know, going around the corner like to get like cigarettes or a beer or something like don't don't drive over there you know just ride your bike and get it yeah. real quick or like, walk or walk yeah. yeah i hate i guess i hate walking though <laughs> 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 that's just me though okay i gotta be on some kind of wheeled object whether it's a skateboard or a bicycle something yeah that, that's just me though <laughs> sure um but yeah dude yeah. it was just a lovely conversation if you want to plug in your sub stack yeah. let us know Okay, um, uh, I participate in Substack, which is an online writer's forum. Um, I write about a variety of things. Um, I'm, I just finished one about uh, Miner's Lettuce, which is a native uh, plant that is edible and uh, a very cool plant. Uh, that's why I what, wrote about it. What's it called? Miner's Lettuce. Hmm. And I think it's native to this area. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'm always on the hunt for uh, for native plants because, uh, as you can see to my right, right here, where I have all these uh, herbivorous lizards, and I think they'd uh, like that. And I'm looking it's, always. It's for native, them. and yeah. they're they're native. I mean, some of them are native. Yeah. Yeah. So that'd be very cool. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what's the link that I can like send people right now? So, like, th- is there a? Well, what what they need to do is. Send me their email. So let me give you my email. Yeah, it, give us your email. Yeah. It's Howard Isaac Williams at yahoo.com. And I'll spell that out H O W A R D I S A A C W I L L I A M S 
at yahoo.com. You send me uh, send me an email asking to get on uh, my Substack, and uh, in addition to uh, the recent one about miner's lettuce, I also write about daylight savings time. I have one about uh, the I have one about the crackdown. We talked about the 1984 one. I cool wrote about that. Uh, I wrote about the um, our first toy drive, which um, maybe next time um, we can talk about. Uh, so like yeah, messenger toy I, drive. I have your email here in the uh, in the chat. So for anyone listening, just go in the chat. Uh, if you're on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, wherever, uh, just hit the chat and you'll see it there. Click on the link and then you'll get on his email list. Yeah, subscriptions are free f if you mention this podcast. Cool. If you mention Rick and uh, DJ Occult, uh, just mention that Got you it. saw this show and you will get a free subscription. Um, I'm going to close by just giving you some numbers. Uh, 191, that is the most weight I have carried on a bike uh, for, a ta for a delivery. Uh, cool. 30, that is the number of cities I have delivered to inside the Bay Area. Um, five, that is the number of counties that I delivered to in one day. That was a challenge, and uh, it took me a little while, but I made it. <laughs> uh, and six is the total number of counties I've done in, in my career. Uh, but that most important one is the zero. That's the number of pedestrians I have hurt. As I say, I've bumped a couple, but nobody got hurt. And uh, I'm grateful for, grateful for that. And that's, that's the one I want everybody to go for. And if you've already got one or two, just keep it. At that, make <laughs> zero for the future. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, uh, how about the inverse? How many times have, have you been hit on your bicycle? Um... <laughs> I can't really count, uh, and the, uh, <laughs> I mean, most of them were, they were also bumps, although getting bumped by a ton of steel is a little bit different than 200 pounds of uh, flesh and bone, uh, but, uh, um, yeah, um, my worst accident was hitting a car because, um, uh, my brakes failed me going down Liberty Hill in San Francisco. Liberty Hill and I have a relationship. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, I was coming down Liberty Hill. It's very steep. Um, and an SUV went out in front of me. And I was very fortunate to hit the front of the SUV. If you're... Um, now we can see you. You're good. Yeah. If If you got like, here's the 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 box part of the SUV and then here here you have the um the front part of the SUV well fortunately I hit right here and went over because if I had hit here you would hit the top yeah I, I would have slammed slammed right in. I might have even hurt the pedestrian uh, the passenger and I certainly would have we would not have been having this conversation this show uh, <laughs> so you know I I hit the front end I went flying um i bounced <laughs> uh but and and i had um 
a broken uh, a hairline fracture on my shoulder, a little bump on my head. That was the second bounce. Um, you know, some road rash on the arm <laughs> for protecting myself. Uh, That's how it goes down. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, that was then. And that was in 1999. I'm still riding. And let's hope that we all keep riding because, uh, you know, the bike. Not only does it show us things that we wouldn't see otherwise, but it keeps us fit. It, you know, it's just bikes are awesome. But yeah. I appreciate you coming down here and chatting with me. Yeah. Fist bumper here. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll check in with all these dudes. Um, SF Bike Messengers, LA Bike Messengers. I'll share this. I'll, I'll put post it all over the internet. But yeah, so happy you get you get to stop by and hope you enjoy the rest of your days here in LA. Yeah, down I, here. I think I will. Yeah. <laughs> all right, listeners, we're about to sign out.